You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger. It's one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, I have missed you so. I have missed this show. I am ready to go. Three hours of A's Cast Live, and boy, do we have a lineup for you today. Kylie McDaniel from ESPN will be here at 1.30. It's a Wednesday, so we're getting back to our regular off-season schedule of Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Remember, Wednesday is a Ray Fossey day at 2.30. Ted Leitner, Teddy Ballgame, longtime voice of the San Diego Padres, 41 years. The guy who on this program called Billy Bean a Hall of Famer, he's stepping down. He's going to retire after 41 years. Good for him. We're going to bring him on the program. And obviously one of the teams that has made a lot of moves this offseason. Because remember, we cover all of Major League Baseball, just not your Oakland Athletics, uh, the San Diego Padres. But now, out of nowhere, trying to take the title of winning the offseason is the Toronto Blue Jays. So I can guarantee you we're going to be talking to some Blue Jay people. We'll get into that in a minute. But Ted Leitner will be here at 3 o'clock, and then Steve Sparks will be here, the knuckleballer, Houston Astros, play-by-play man, talking about they are losing guys, and they are losing guys fast. And by the way, if you're an A's fan, does that bum you out? I don't think so. Bye-bye, Springer. Bye-bye, Brantley. Verlander's not going to be able to throw. I mean, they're who knows what they're going to look like? Who knows what any team in the American League West is going to look like. We know what the A's are going to look like for the most part. Right now, we're still waiting on short and second base. But everything else, you kind of, you know, bullpen is what it is. Starters are what they are. You know, the lineup, the core is still there. News emerging, though. And and, and by the way, stuff has been happening so fast, it's unbelievable. It's hard to keep up. This is how December normally is. And not to be too selfish as we bring the commander in, Commander Cody, but we said, hey, listen, when you're a baseball show that goes year-round, you want news year-round. So, yeah, let's sprinkle some news in December, sprinkle it in January. Well, we've had more than a sprinkle in January. We're going to get more in February. There's still a boatload of free agents out there. But this is now emerging. Brad Hand major interest, not just the Mets and the Blue Jays, but also the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles, Disney Angels. So Brad Hand, you got to think as a left-handed closer, 
certain teams would be out there looking for this guy. Hard to believe Cleveland let him go, but there's just another rumor out there. So, and, and, and probably the biggest rumor today is that Michael Brantley could be joining his buddy George Springer in Toronto. That's a really good Toronto team if they add Brantley. Let's just start there. Springer to lead off that lineup. You got Biggio, Bichette, Guriel Jr., uh, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Vlad well, Guerrero one guys, Jr. One of those guys is going to be out. Well, the realistically, the, yeah, realistically right now their their lineup could be Springer, Hernandez, and Guriel as their outfield. And then you'd have, what, Vlad play first, Biggio second, and Bichette. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Vlad's looking in shape, baby. All right, so, all right, hypothetically, Vlad plays third, but realistically he plays first. Um, and then you, you're looking at third base for them. But signing Springer to that deal, what was it? What was it? Six years, $150 million for Springer? 150. That's a lot of Momo member. He wanted 100 and what was it? $175 million. That's a lot of money. Now, the Blue Jays the other day, they just signed Kirby Yates, too. The 2019 yeah. uh, NL or 2019 Major League Baseball saves leader. So that move happened. Springer now makes the second most amount of money for a center fielder behind only that guy in Anaheim, Mike Trout. At twenty-five million a year, the Mets apparently offered him somewhere between one hundred and twenty and one hundred twenty-five million around six years. He wanted to stay close to home. I mean, Toronto's close to Connecticut, I guess, in theory. But I mean, New York is literally right there. But he chose the money over proximity to home. Wait, and wait, wait, wait! But 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 they're the Florida they're the Florida Jays. Yeah, well, that might be a more of a possibility. After listening to our good friend Mad Dog talk yesterday, he thinks that they're going to be playing in. At their spring training facility in Florida, but oh, they're, they're, well, they're not playing in Toronto. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen uh, this and year. They, and, and at some point, we need our minor leaguers to start playing again. I mean, you got have to have your your, your system is the source. You know, you got to have AAA, AA. You got to get these guys playing again, so they can't play in Buffalo. Yeah, and if you go and if you look back at the Jays' uh, free agency history. Any any guesses who the highest paid free agent they ever gave money to prior to George Springer? Uh free agent. So Carlos Delgado is not a free agent. No. Robbie Alomar's two way that was long, 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 long time ago. Think uh he's from Canada. Um he had a huge home run for the Pirates in the playoffs. Of Johnny Cueto, former Dodger, former Yankee, plays behind the plate. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 Russell Martin. Yeah, Russell Martin, 5 for 82. Uh, Ryu, my guy, 4 for 80. And then A.J. Burnett, 5 for 55. So George Springer setting a whole new market in Toronto because you figure they were going to have to overspend to get him to go to, to play uh, across the border, I guess, uh, up north. Well, it'll be down south in, in Florida this year probably, but good for the Blue Jays. And now they're reportedly trying to get Michael Brantley, and they apparently had an offer they're, out it's for – It's not reportedly. They're basically saying it's done. Well, hold on, wait. Breaking from Bob Nightingale on Twitter literally right now. Michael Brantley is returning to the Astros on a two-year, $32 million deal. Uh, Mark Berman from Fox in Houston is reporting. So – once I see Passin and Kenny and Kenny Rosenthal, friend of the program, report that, that's huge for Houston to keep Brantley, but you lost Springer already. But So this is great. We got some breaking. 
We've got breaking news here on A's Cast Live already to start the show seven minutes in. Live from New York at the ABC Sports Desk, I'm Chris Townsend. That's bad news. I wanted him out of the division. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, like I said, earlier today before we started the show, people were like, "Oh, it's a done deal. He's going to, to Toronto." Yeah. Now, okay. So, say he doesn't sign to Toronto. I wonder where they look next. Um, I mean, well, I right now in front of me on ESPN.com, they've got every single free agent on the guys who have signed and the guys who haven't. And let me tell you, there are a boatload of guys who have not signed. It's amazing, this list. I mean, it's it's a list of – so from, from, like, the A's perspective, I can go down this list and I'd go, yeah, I'd take that guy. Yeah, I'd take that guy. I mean, and what's going to happen, especially, like, for, for, for teams like the A's, is you're going to let the big boys all go out there and try and get as much money as they possibly can. And as we get closer to – Spring training, that's when the one-year deals will come in, and guys just want to get signed. They want to have they want to have a place to play. And, you know, if if the rumors like on Marcus Simeon are true and he's going to get some type of two, three-year deal and he's going to move on, well, then you're going to go out and find a shortstop for a one-year deal. Um, hopefully, Tommy Listella is going to be a guy that comes back to the A's. But, I mean, like like Mark Melanson's out there. Like, I'm just thinking of, like, guys that you could, like, use for one year. Like, you need a guy for one year. There are plenty of players out there that could help the A's and help a lot of other teams. But look at it, a lot of these signings. Um, we'll start with, I knew there was no way DJ LeMahieu was leaving New York. You just don't leave New York. And he's the type of player that made their lineup better they were not going to allow him to leave. So I knew that. The Corey Kluber gamble is very interesting. If he can stay healthy and you got him for one year, $11 million, man, that is an absolute score. You start thinking about uh, your rotation, if he can be kind of like the guy he was. Uh, Johnny Lesta signed with the Nationals. A.T. Real Muto, we'll ask Kylie McDaniel from ESPN. Man, we thought it was a done deal, five years, $100 million. He must be still shopping around trying to find something and just, you know, hey, Philly, I'll get back to you. If I can't get something better, yeah, I'm in. Trevor Bauer, there's rumors all over the place about Trevor Bauer. I mean, obviously, he's been linked to the Mets. He's been linked to the Blue Jays. Now he's been linked where, Cody? Um. The Dodgers, which is just remarkable. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, just thinking about that rotation would be unbelievable. Well, that that would be their counter to the Padres. Yeah, no, the Padres got um, perennial all-star, Cy Young contend, you know, con- uh, contender every year for the Pirates, Joe Musgrove, um, as I joke facetiously here. About that, it was a nice trade for them to give up what they did to get another starter for the rotation. But Bauer going to the Dodgers if that happens, Bauer, Kershaw, Bueller, May, 
Price, Aureus, Gonsolin. Are you kidding me? That's seven starters they can use. And a year where we don't know what pitchers are going to look like after only going 60 games, 12 starts. And David Price having an entire year off. Uh, he's coming back healthy and refreshed. So, man, the Dodgers are essentially adding two free agents if they can sign Bauer because they're getting Price back. And they will be, add, will be adding Trevor Bauer. That's I mean, A lot of people think he's going to go to the Angels still. But if he goes to the Dodgers, good luck. Good luck, San Diego. Giants, oh, Rockies. Wow. I mean, you mentioned all those names. And you throw Bauer in there. It was Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, who said, you're going to need a lot of guys. You're going to need, I mean, because normally you use a lot of guys anyway. Now, I mean, how many pitchers, if we play 162, are really going to give you 32 starts? Realistically. You would think Cole would. He's one. I, I, I don't – to be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, can Walker Bueller do it? The young arm, strong arm? I mean, do we have anybody that can do it? A, well, that's a great question. Uh, with the departure of Fires, I don't know. I mean, a lot of the guys are young. Manai's never – I mean, Manai's been a – you know, a lot of hype around him, but he's never really had a full season. Um, could, Bassett, either, could, Bassett, could, could Bassett give you 30? I think he could be a guy, yeah. I mean, he's old. I mean, he's in his early 30s now. He might be more established. He might be the most established veteran in the staff right now if you look at the guys they have. Well, and the thing is that that's coming from the perspective of babying people. You could also come from the perspective of, hey, wait a minute. These guys, they kind of got, you know, a little relief here from the standpoint that they don't have the wear and tear of a spring training going into a 162-game season. Maybe these guys are going to come out fresh, feeling great, going, give me the ball. I mean, you could also look at it from that perspective. Like you mentioned David Price. David Price, you know, let's face it, he had a lot of tread on the tire. Now, I don't know. David Price may come in going, I haven't felt this good since, you know, when I first signed with Boston. So maybe guys come out and they're just throwing BBs ready to rock. But that would be an incredible – but, yeah, depth depth never hurts when you talk about starting pitching. Now, I remember that one year, I don't know if it was 12 or 13, where the Tigers only used seven starting pitchers that year. I mean, hell, at the A's, we could use 13, 14. <laughs> they only used seven that year. But exciting times right now. There is movement galore. Are we are we getting Springer for sure? It looks like, uh, I mean, people are confirming it on Twitter. Fox Sports, MLB. Again, I still haven't seen Ken or Passon, the big newsbreakers essentially anymore, or even Heyman uh, say anything. I have seen people say that this could set, the, uh, this could set in motion the outfield market. You know, Jock Peterson's out there. Uh, Marcel Azuna, but he's more of a DH kind of guy, in my opinion. Because, but we don't know about that because of the NL. But that could also set in trend the uh, motion of trading Andrew Benintendi from the Red Sox because he's a guy that, you know, apparently the Red Sox are trying to aggressively move, and then they want to add a free agent outfielder. I, that just doesn't make sense to me when you're a team that's not going for it this year, as their CEO Sam Kennedy said uh, to Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe. 
But yeah, it just I it looks like it's it's gonna happen. He's going back to the Astros. But you mentioned earlier, no no Springer, no Verlander, uh, no Marcel, no Marcel, no more Roberto Azuna as he's a free agent and he's also hurt, but he's trying to rehab it. Um, the Astros are gonna look different. The Angels added. Uh, how dare you? How dare you forget the reunion of Jose Quintana with Joe Madden? Um, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a big one for the Angels. Hey, keep talking. I gotta close my garage door. Yeah, Quintana going back, you know, appearing for Joe Madden again. You know, they signed him to a one-year deal worth around eight million dollars. He started one game last year for the Cubs. One. He had like a four fifty ERA. I think ten innings for the Cubs under our good friend Rossi, David Ross, last year as the Cubs won the NL Central, but Quintana was not a big part of it. He's 83-77 and 77 in his career with an era under four, which is good. Now, that career spans with the White Sox and the Cubs, of course, and now the Angels. But the Angels need a starting pitcher, and Perry Manazian goes out and gets him. He gets one guy to go along with Dylan Bundy. They still need three other guys, essentially, to be in the rotation. They're looking at Brad Hand. Again, they don't, I don't think they have enough starting pitching. So the AL West, again, is going to be wide open still. No, it's not wide open. It's the A's division to win. That's what I mean. Like, it's open for them to take because no one's done it. I mean, Brantley resigned, but the Astros still don't have any pitching besides, you know, a few guys. Like, they, they're, they're gonna, I still think they're going to take a step back. All these people saying their World Series odds are really high. I, I just don't see it this year without Verlander and, you know, another year added on the Granky. Uh, yeah. Granky's going to be what? 37? Yeah, that sounds about right. He's in his late 30s. So if we all experience very high wind, let me tell you what's going on in my at my crib right now. So the high wind, so around my house, everybody's got a bunch of big trees. You've seen it. And when the wind hit and the way the wind was going, everybody's trees, it sounded like, it sounded like all the different stuff that's coming down onto my roof. It it sounded like it was raining. Did you? I mean, did you? I mean, you're you're in that luxury apartment. You probably didn't feel the wind. Yeah, my my pad here, as uh, as the kids say, my pad. Uh, the wind the other night was, you know, I heard it, but it wasn't as bad because it's so. I mean, if I'm gonna hear it, it, it's only going through the little alley there. But like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have friends that live in Scotts Valley or Folsom or. Oh, uh, it was brutal. Uh, it was. Like you're worried, like our tree's gonna fall. So everything blew into my yard. For some reason, all the lots next to me, everything goes into my yard. And so the gardener has just showed up and he's blowing it. And I was worried that you were gonna hear it and everything would end up blowing into my garage. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's a good thought because I didn't think about that. See, now uh, I can't afford to have a gardener come and clean up my, my backyard. You know, the little, the little balcony I have that we have fake grass and padding down for our dog, but. Um. Yeah, that wind was ridiculous. I saw a lot of people talking about it, you know, in the East Bay and stuff. And I, my friends in in Scotts Valley, they didn't have power for 17 hours yesterday. Uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty rough. But, um, you know, I, the wind's kind of calm now, which is good. But I understand what you're saying. Like, there's a leaf blower going on in my background. I can hear it faintly, but I'm, I'm hopefully you can't or no one else can hear it. I, I do want to address before we get to Kylie McDaniel. A a growing issue that I didn't know it was going on because the environment that is set by our front office, this stuff would never happen. 
You know, when you have a strong leader and a leader that's been here a long, long time, and I'm talking about Billy Bean, when the Brandon Taubman thing went down, if you remember, we, we you know, the offices was, were still open. And Billy came walking by. Remember that conversation I had with Billy? I, you know, if something ever happened like that with the A's, the guy would have been fired immediately. If a guy like Brandon Taubman did what he did in the clubhouse to those female riders, guy would have been fired on the spot. And then Billy said it would never happen in this organization. Just wouldn't. So we've never dealt with any, anything like this before. And so the way that Brandon Taubman treated those female riders, it was well, well chronicled. And to now, here you have the Mets last year, hire manager, have to fire him before the season starts. And now they hire a GM and Jared Porter. And they got to fire him before the season starts because the pictures he was sending a female journalist, which you should never do. Totally unprofessional, and yes, you should be fired. And then Britt Giroli came out in the Athletic and said, "Oh, this is this happens in baseball." And then there, so here's another instance. It was happening to her in Baltimore. What's his name? The reliever for the Yankees that played for the Orioles, Zach Britton. Zach Britton came out and said, "I, I wish you would have said something," and I understand why you didn't. And he couldn't believe it. He's like, I was in Baltimore at that time. I can't like some of us who work in Major League Baseball can't believe like. Like, how dumb are you? You think this is like these guys, these front office people think they're bulletproof and they can do whatever they want. And you know what? That's not how the world works. I'm telling you, baseball for so many years, these guys in the clubhouse, they think this is this is where we work. This is our clubhouse. And I've said for years, and you've heard me say this, Cody, I said, oh, this is your clubhouse? How much money did you spend to build this building? You know, for all those years, taxpayers paid for the building. I don't remember you paying for this building. And if it's privately financed, uh, the owners privately financed and took loans out to build this building. But these guys in baseball have walked around with such arrogance for decades about who they are, what they can do, and what they can get away with. And it's sickening to me, especially as a father of two girls. It's sickening. And it happens all over. Brett Favre did it. I mean, it happens all over. And it's like these guys feel that they're bulletproof because they're Major League Baseball players, they're NFL players, they're NBA, they're hockey. They can do whatever they want. And then you got these front office guys who they take on the same persona. And now this guy has lost his job before he ever starts the season. That is so unprofessional. When you start reading about this, it is so unprofessional, it's sickening. Not only the sexual content of these texts and whatever emails or whatever happens with different, but just it's it's bullying. 
Brandon Tobin was straight bullying. And something something needs to come out from, and I don't know if it already has after what happened in Houston, but here's another thing. And, I, you know, this might open floodgates. I'm just very thankful that this doesn't happen where, where, where we work. And we're in a situation to where Major League Baseball and A.J. Hinch, not a big fan, as you know. But I will say this about A.J. Hinch. He was the one guy that stood up and for the first time said, you know what? No one should ever come into our clubhouse and ever feel threatened, ever feel disrespected. You know how many times players have threatened writers or radio guys or TV guys? You know how many times that's gone on for decades? I had Bobby Bonilla stand up and want to fight me. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, the bullying inside Major League Baseball clubhouses, and it's all sports, but we're doing baseball here, has been going on for decades. See, it's different from when my grandfather played. When my grandfather played, like in the 40s and the 50s, all the sports writers and players, they were buddies. They went and had dinner together. They drank together. They rode the trains together. And then things changed over the years. And now it's just, it's there, there's been a lot of disrespect. And baseball's got to figure this out. All sports need to figure it out. But once again, we're focusing on baseball. This can't be happening. There has to be a respect level. Hey, listen, player, coaches, manager. I mean, look how many managers have blown up on people. There has to be a respect level. Bullying has to be out of the game when we're talking about the clubhouse. And respect outside the clubhouse, inside the clubhouse, something's got to be done. It's time for change. And when you see a guy who just got his job lose his job before the season even started, bravo. Hey, you know what? Here's the difference between the Astros and the Mets now. Steve Cohen, a true businessman, billionaire, he made the move right away. Jim Crane in Houston did not. They made the move right away. You're out of here. I mean, it's been tough sledding in New York the last two years. You've lost a manager and you've lost a GM two straight years before the start of the season. You know how rare that is? I, I You know, I bet if we went, if we looked at the four major sports, Cody, Baseball, football, basketball, hockey. You think that's ever happened in the history of these sports? I would lean towards no, um, especially not in a, in a market like New York, back-to-back uh, -back years. I mean, maybe a dysfunctional market like a Tampa Bay or something, like back when the Bucks were dysfunctional, when they were terrible. But, yeah, I can't. nothing comes to my mind where something like that, you know, happened so quickly uh, with a, a manager and a GM and – I think, you know, everything about that story is just so sickening for the female reporter to have to go through. I mean, she stopped being a female reporter covering sports, because, essentially, because of this. And there was, like, 60 unread messages. Like, come on, man. Get the hint after, like, four, three, I don't know, two. She doesn't respond. Don't send 60 and then explicit images of yourself. Like, that's just, come on, man. Read the room, as we've been saying. Everyone's been saying that for the last year. Just read the room. And understand it. Hannah Kaiser of Yahoo Sports asked Sandy about it yesterday. I watched Sandy's address to the media on the Mets website yesterday. I was watching it live. She asked him, 
you know, you've been getting a lot of glowing reports about Jared Porter from other executives. She goes, I'm just curious, how many of those were females? And he goes, none. And unfortunately, that's the situation we're in. I completely commend Hannah Kaiser for asking that question, getting the response to saying that we need to change this after Sandy responded, saying we need to change that. Kim in getting hired as a GM in the, in Florida, uh, Miami is a great first step, but we need more of that, not just one and feel like, okay, we did what we need to do. They need more of that in Major League Baseball, and that's something that needs to be addressed for sure. I mean, over 60 text messages? Over 60? You're a stalker. Essentially, yes. That's what it becomes. You're a stalker. And, you know, you don't think that's going to come back and haunt you in your career? I mean, my old coach, Sam Peraro, the Hall of Famer, San Jose State, he would always say to us, it takes years for you to build a great reputation. It takes years to build that reputation. It takes one screw-up, and it all goes down the drain. And this is a great example. You go to his Wikipedia page now. Jared Porter is an American baseball executive. He served as general manager of the New York Mets of Major League Baseball from December 20th until January 21st, when he was fired for sending explicit texts and photos to a female journalist while a member of the Chicago Cubs front office in 2016. That's the first sentence on his Wikipedia page. And that ain't changing anytime soon. And who hires him after this? You think somebody hires him after this? Is he that brilliant of a mind? Unbelievable. Kylie McDaniel, you know what? We need to just to, to put a bow on this. We as a sport need to clean this up. And it needs to be addressed to all the players at spring training. And everybody in front offices. And every, like everybody, this needs to be addressed to everybody about professionalism in the workplace. Heck, you could do it to the media people, too. If you're going to get a media bag to cover a team, whether it's a national media bag or a local media bag, broadcasters, writers, TV, radio, everybody, there should be something that you got to read, you got to sign, something's got to happen. There has to be change. Coming up next, Kylie McDaniel, ESPN, right here on A's Back Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Earlier today, I caught up with Kylie McDaniel, who is a terrific writer for ESPN.com. They've got, you know, they've got Buster, they got Passon, Schoenfield. They do a really good job covering the game of baseball. But the first thing we had to ask him was, he just got married. Well, first off, before we start talking anything baseball, we want to know, how did the wedding go? Uh, successfully, I am married. Uh, I was actually just in the kitchen uh, reorganizing some cabinets because we got all these new like appliances and kitchen items. So I guess that's a, a positive manifestation of the, the wedding working as we both are continuing to work from home. And so uh, home life and work life uh, intersect more often than usual. Let's admit, the last time we talked, we're manufacturing stuff, right? I mean, it was like, what are we going to talk about? And then now, I mean, the sport has absolutely exploded. 
Uh, Carlos Beltran Part 2, where Jared Porter has been relieved of his duties as the GM. We've got signings all over the place. We knew the dam would break at some point, and it is finally broken as we've got baseball news all over the place. Yeah, and the big question I think coming into the offseason was how frothy would the free agent market be? Would all of the lost revenue as a result of the pandemic and last season really affect uh, like where would it affect the market? The presumption is it wouldn't affect the top of the market because those are still elite players. There's still demand for those guys. Will will it affect you know the lower end, the middle end? So far, what we've seen is the expected downturn. I think everybody expected once you get outside of those 50 million plus type players, uh, you would see guys taking huge discounts. What's happened so far is basically everyone that has signed has signed for either expectations or a little bit higher. And so now the sort of thought within the industry is when does the other shoe drop? When do all of these guys, you know, all the, all the seats are taken uh, in the musical chairs and somebody that we thought would get, you know, two times 10 has to settle for one times seven. So what happened to Mike Moustakis for a couple off seasons in a row before he got his, you know, four times 16 with Cincinnati. Uh, when do those guys start signing up today? Whoever gets left out has no incentive to sign yet. They're going to keep waiting for that to happen. But there's going to be an inflection point where essentially all the money is gone and whoever's left over has to sign for huge discounts, but it is not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, and and it, it's tough to tell your audience because we have been so conditioned that, all right, we all go to the winter meetings where, you know, it's supposed to be in Dallas this year and you have all the big signings. And then, you know, they'll trickle down a little bit in January, maybe some in February, and then maybe some contracts right before spring training. And I was like, hey, listen, for us baseball people who do this year round, I have no problem stretching this thing out because this now gives me stuff to talk about in December, January. We're going to have signings in February. We're going to have signings leading all the way up to hopefully when we start spring training. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Padres seem to be the big winner of the offseason. Uh, on the phone now is the Toronto Blue Jays. Not so fast. Yeah. And it sounds like that, you know, the Mets may have another move in them. Yeah. I mean, if they go get Trevor Bauer, then, you know, them and the Padres are probably sitting there. Uh, atop the heap of best off seasons, but then obviously you have the White Sox and the Blue Jays right there. And that was also before anybody signed for any money, the sort of uh, buzz within the game, you kind of see it reported by some of the scoops people and you know people like me kind of project who's going to go where it was like, all right, it sounds like the White Sox and the Blue Jays are going to spend some money. Like, you know, it's, you know, sounds like, you know, Dodgers probably going to dip in. And then once the Mets got new owners, like, all right, they're going to spend some money but I don't think we have enough spots to sort of spend on all the good players. And it's like, no, actually those, you know, throw in San Diego. It's like, yeah, there were, there were enough teams going that there are two guys or two teams at least bidding for every free agent and top trade uh, target. And that's actually all you need. And that may be all we had in some of those situations. Once we uh, find out, you know, afterwards how the, how the bidding went, a lot of these free agents that have signed pretty big deals, it wasn't more than two or three teams that were in there late. Uh, and luckily we just didn't have one where it was, you know, one team bidding and then the price goes way down. Well, I got to tell you, if these rumors are true and Toronto's going to be picking up Michael Brantley to go with George Springer, basically you're taking two-thirds of the Astros outfield. I mean, wow, to go with all those young, terrific players that they have. That, I mean, you start looking at the American League East and you just go, wow. Yeah, and I think the National League East is also there with it looked like it was going to be uh, Atlanta and then probably Washington uh, with, uh, you know, Miami doing the rebuild sort of on the way headed in the right direction. And then the Mets announced themselves as they're going to be right up there at the top. 
Um, and then obviously the Phillies are spending a bunch of money. They just haven't been able to put it together yet. It's like, you got, you know, four should be competitive teams and one team that's on the way. And in the AL East, it's like, all right, well, Tampa Bay was the one that you, you know, was sort of like the dark horse. And now they're probably the favorite. Uh, and then, like you said, the rest of the division, like Boston now, is, uh, I guess Boston and Baltimore would be the two where you're not sure what they're going to do, but Boston's obviously going to be back soon, if not this year. And Baltimore is that, you know, that analog for Miami that's headed in the right direction. It's probably a couple years away, but they might be dangerous pretty soon. You know, I kept saying on this show, there's no way J- DJ LeMay, who's leaving the Yankees. You just really, I mean, we saw Robbie Cano do it. And look, you end up going, you get a bunch of money, but you go to Seattle and no one watches you play. I just, you know, where he is in his career, I just, I had a hard time believing the Yankees were going to allow someone to outspend them, and I had a hard time believing DJ LeMay who was going to leave the Bronx. And even the reported ones, which was basically the Dodgers might pick him, put him at third base, and let Justin Turner walk, seemed a little far-fetched. And then Toronto was kicking around on him and Lindor, and they also already had Bichette, Guerrero, and Biggio in the infield. So like both of those, you could see it happening but it would be like a pretty bold move to kind of walk away from what's been working for you to then go get this guy who, like you said, like not only like, you know, uh, took a real step up as a player in with the Yankees, but they also really need him and they have enough money to resign him and basically not anybody else. They're not probably not going to sign Tanaka or Paxton. Uh, it, yeah. It just seemed like it, it fit too well to avoid it. And still sitting out there is Trevor Bauer. Rumors out there that the Dodgers could be interested. You mentioned the Mets. I mean, the Blue Jays supposedly were were in there at what time? At what time? How are you projecting Trevor Brow, Trevor Bauer at this point? So the most recent sort of chatter that wasn't really like reported, but sort of you know scuttlebutt you hear in the industry was a the Dodgers. There's for some reason they are not acting on Justin Turner yet, and they didn't you know, didn't go heavy on Lemayhew. Um, so obviously they've got some amount of money. I don't think they're afraid to go into the luxury tax. So there's not technically like a ceiling on how much they're going to spend. And I think they think they could use one more pitcher. So he makes sort of perfect sense there as like a hired gun, one year deal, 25, maybe $30 million. Uh, and then hit the market again next year when it might be a little more hardy. He'll have a couple of years of, of really elite performance instead of just, you know, one and a half or two that he has right now. Uh, there's rumors at the beginning of the offseason that the angels would make some sense, but in signing Quintana yesterday, uh, there's some thought that they might be, you know, done making their moves, that they didn't want to make a huge uh, commitment. They want to do more one-year deals, as Perry Manassian, the new GM, uh, did when he was in Atlanta uh, under Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, obviously, the Mets are sitting right there. The rumor is they're going to go into luxury tax as well, but they're not there yet. And so Bauer could be the one to push them over the top. Um, but obviously, they already have a pretty good <laughs> rotation, so they don't necessarily need them in the same way the Mets didn't need Springer. Um, but yeah, Steve, Steve Cohen is the kind of guy you'd be scared of. Uh, and yeah, and then, you know, you, you can't really rule anyone out. The Giants are actually the big sort of rumor as the team who is not really spending money this year, who is rumored to have a lot of money to spend next offseason when they think their core will be coming together. And then that next offseason with all those um, shortstops will be available. Uh, Correa, uh, Lindor, if he doesn't sign an extension, Corey Seager, uh, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, uh, Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman that they're going to go, uh, especially with all this money coming off the books and the prospects coming up, that they're going to spend next offseason. It wouldn't shock me if they would be in the derby for Trevor Bauer for just this season to try to sneak into the playoffs, uh, you know, make a move. Uh, they have a long history now under uh, Farhan Zaidi of improving pitchers. And for one year, you're not taking on that much risk. What are you hearing about our man Marcus Simeon? There was some chatter about a week ago that he was getting close to a deal. 
I wonder if that was sort of running parallel to some of the Lindor talk that he's like sort of a backup option for some of the same teams. And I think he also intersects with the LeMahieu market. He's also represented by Wasserman, the same agency that represented LeMahieu, where it sounds like uh, the Dodgers especially were considering both of them along with Justin Turner. Because I think he's seen as a guy that fits at shortstop, but if you're a team that already has a shortstop, you can put him at second or third. He's probably not a one-year deal in the same way that Andrelton Simmons, a couple other free agents may be, because uh, he doesn't want to hit that market next offseason. I was just talking about with the other shortstops. Yeah. Uh, but you probably don't want to go four years, so it's probably a two- or three-year deal. And it sounds like it's mostly competing teams that see him as a possible multi-positional fit right-hand hitter that can play all over the field, which obviously we've seen in recent years. The teams that you know make it deep in the playoffs tend to have one or two sort of too many uh, good uh, position players for that sort of opening day lineup. And then by the time you get to the playoffs, they have sort of just the right amount. So, you know, 11 or 12 position players kind of turns into eight or nine by the time you get deep in the playoffs. So I think he's going to fit with one of those teams. And I think the Dodgers are probably the next one to watch because they seem like the contender with the most money to spend that hasn't made a huge move yet. Okay. So if the A's do lose Marcus Simeon and Billy Bean calls you and David Force calls you and they want, okay, where should we go from here? Somebody's got to play shortstop. I don't think Nick Allen is ready. Uh, where do you go if you're the A's? It's a good question. There's a, they have shown in the past that they are not as married to the idea of we need the Ray Ordonez type shortstop. Like Simeon Messinez probably is an A shortstop, and he turned into one while he was there. Uh, I was actually told that the years that Oakland went for Simeon, their backup plan was Kike Hernandez to become sort of the everyday shortstop. Um, so they're not afraid of, of sort of that second base utility, maybe third base sort of guy and figure out a way to make him into a shortstop. Uh, I mean, right now, if, once you you know go into the area where you think they'd be willing to spend, uh, you get Didi Gregorius, who might be one or two year deal for you know eight or 10 million a year. There's a number of second basemen. Obviously, Justin Turner, I mentioned, is a third baseman. Uh, and then you get down to like sort of Andrelton Simmons and some of these sort of just perfectly fine sort of options. So there's not really like a you know, a center cut sort of option where for a one or two year deal for eight or 10 million a year, you're getting exactly what you want, unless they really like Didi Gregorius, in which case I think he, he could fit, uh, but he obviously comes with some words as well. You know, a guy that we loved, and once you put him into the A's lineup, it really changed the lineup, was Tommy Listello, and they brought him over from Anaheim. Uh, rumors are he could be returning to the athletics. Where are you on the 31-year-old free agent second baseman? There was some buzz at the beginning of the offseason that he may be in line for a three-year, $30-plus million deal as a guy that's sort of first base, second base, DH, maybe left field, uh, can really hit, has been trending up in that regard, and is sort of a solid bet to you know sort of find a place in the lineup. Um, it sounds like that market may not have materialized in quite the same way. Uh, I, would, I would assume Oakland wouldn't be there for three, for 30-plus. Uh, but I think, you know, anywhere uh, a notch or two below that, they would be in play. And I think now as that sort of top of the free agent position player market is playing out, we're getting an idea of where that second tier is, where I think it's a little more Nelson Cruz, Marcelo Zuna. And obviously, Lestel has a little more positional flexibility than those two. But they're, they're all sort of in the bat first, uh, you know, DH is a real option in terms of where you might play them sort of option. Whereas, whereas at sec, like pure second baseman, there's still a lot of options. Colton Wong, Cesar Hernandez, Jerickson Profar. Jonathan Scope. Uh, there's just all kinds of options there if somebody wants a pure second baseman. Uh, and then obviously I think Oakland's current team right now has a lot of guys that probably fit best at second or third. Um, but then obviously with, you know, not necessarily a true shortstop and Matt Chapman, that kind of limits your options a little bit. 
So my uh, producer, Commander Cody, uh, was just perplexed. Cody, you can join where A.J. Puck was not a top 10 left-handed pitcher uh, considered as a prospect. And uh, Kylie, I, I said, the guy hasn't been able to stay healthy. How can he continue to be a top 10 prospect for lefties? He's a tricky one. Uh, I think we're probably going to see similar things with him and uh, raised lefty Brendan McKay as they both had sort of, I guess we'll say extensive arm issues. Brent Honeywell with the Rays is another one that have been sort of perennial top 100 prospects. Uh, McKay and Puck specifically, I think, have been top 20, top 25 in pretty much every every service, including mine. And yeah, at some point when you know there's there's uh, something to the sort of inertia theory of, of pitching prospect health, which is guys that are hurt tend to stay hurt, and guys that are healthy tend to stay healthy. And so once you've been hurt for the better part of a couple of years, uh, you know, there's other sexier guys that kind of slide ahead of you. But then also it's like, well, can we just assume that this guy's going to continue getting hurt? Whereas, you know, like Lazardo had Tommy John surgery uh, right around when he was drafted out of the high school. And then like hasn't really had like huge arm problems in a way. Like sometimes these guys like Jacob DeGrom did the same thing. He had TJ early in his career, hasn't really had trouble later. And there's some guys like Strasburg have two TJs and in between them, they have really not that many problems either. So there's like all kinds of different versions of how, uh, how arms react to arm surgery. Uh, but it would not surprise me if there is somebody that leaves AJ Puck off of their top 100 and then he has three good starts and they update their top 100 and kind of slide him in the top 50 and don't say anything about it. Cause it's, he's one of those guys with a really wide error bar. I could, I could see this season going a bunch of different ways for him. You know, I want to give you guys some love at ESPN because I don't think you guys get enough love for what you do covering the game, you know, uh, with you and Buster and Schoenfeld and all you guys. I, I think at the website, I think you guys do a good a job covering baseball as anyway as anybody. I mean, you can go right now and I'm on it. Every single free agent, you've got the free agent tracker, will tell you who they played for, who their new team is, and there's a lot of no new teams. But, I mean, you guys cover baseball as good as anybody. And if you had to project who's the next big name off the board, who would it be? That is a good question. Um, if we say big names, so we'll say like top 10 to 15 kind of free agents. Yeah. Um, I mean, Brantley seems like a, <laughs> a fair one to throw out there since he technically hasn't agreed to terms, but it's been reported widely that he had. Uh yeah, I, I would say probably Bauer of the top guys. I, I think his market is coming into focus now. I think almost all of the top starting pitchers, other than Tanaka, who may be going back to Japan, uh, have signed. The top of the starting pitcher trade market has, has sort of finished. The teams that have money other than the Dodgers has basically spent it. Uh, so I think that report from Jeff, uh, whatever that was, a couple hours ago, uh, that's in line with what I've been hearing the last couple of weeks, that it seems like it's starting to get narrowed down and he only has so many places to go. I still think it's going to end up being a one-year deal, maybe one with an option, maybe two, like somewhere on the short end of things so he can sort of prove it because uh, he also kind of has the you know, supreme confidence in himself to be able to achieve whatever it is he set out to do. But I, I think uh, Ozuna and Nelson Cruz may be some of the later ones to move just because not knowing what the NLDH situation is, they can't really move. And Real Muto, I haven't gotten the sense that he is close to a deal yet. I think he's still shopping around to try to find that Springer-type deal, which I'm not sure he's going to find. So that leads me to Bauer. Well, I got to tell you, once again, uh, you guys do a great job at ESPN. You really do. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. We have, uh, we've sort of, uh, I wouldn't say stumbled into it. It's not like I'm the one in charge of hiring all these people. But uh, I think I think we've also kind of uh, – put together a nice team of people, obviously, you know, Jeff doing most of the news breaking and then I'm doing, you know, most of the prospect stuff and Buster does a lot of sort of 
pull the industry and what, you know, what you, what you hearing about, you know, news and notes and things like that. And then uh, Schoenfeld doing more of the reaction new stuff. Like, I think we have, you know, some of the best at each of those things. And then each of us has a couple of crossover things we can do where, you know, Buster, or I might pitch in on a, uh, on a, you know, scoops thing here or there. Uh, and, you know, Schoenfeld will, you know, do some sort of news and notes things around the industry. Like, I think, I think we got a nice sort of mix of guys and I, I tend to agree that when I go to the, you know, ESPN.com slash MLB and just sort of look around, I'm like, man, we're like, uh, we're staying on top of this stuff with, with not the biggest roster in the world. Well, hey, remember this. First couple of years of marriage, she's always right. You just got to remember that. <laughs> There's been a lot of, where do you want to put the food processor? I'm like, I don't know. Where do you want to put it? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what color towel should we have? I don't care. It's a towel. Just what, whatever color you want, yeah. just pick it. As long as it towels. <laughs> hey man you're the best we appreciate it be well we'll talk soon yep thanks for having me kylie mcdaniel always solid coming up next we're going to remember one of the great pitchers of all time right here on a's cast live streaming from the east bay a's cast live continues with chris townsend yeah, we got some very sad news about one of uh, the great pitchers in the history of baseball, Don Sutton, Hall of Famer, passing away at the age of 75 in his sleep. I got to tell you, if there's any way to go, <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the way to go. But uh, at 75, we still like to think of that as too young. But what a career that he had. Um, 16 of his 23 years were the, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Took him a while to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, which was absolutely ridiculous when you have 324 wins, a 3.26 ERA, a career 66.7 war. I just, the fact that it took him a while to get the Hall of Fame is just a joke. But just, I mean, year after year after, I mean, look at the game started. From the time he was 21 years old, Cody. He started 35 games at the age of 21. And then it's 34, 27, 41, 38, 37, 33, 33, 40, 35, 34, 33, 34, 32, 31. A couple of years later, 34. I mean, I mean, and then he had a span as again, he's now 38 years old. He's still starting 31, 33, 34. With the A's, he started 29 when he went 13 and 8. I mean, that's amazing when you talk about a workhorse pitcher who just took the ball constantly and gave you all those starts and won 324 games and a career ERA. Like, you know, you think as you get older, the ERA goes up, but still a career ERA of 3.26. This man was a great pitcher and, you know, Everybody in the game loved him. He was a terrific ball, uh, uh, broadcaster. It's truly one of those, as I talk about it, and I wish MLB Network would do it, you know, a baseball life. You think of the teams that that, that he broadcasts for. I wish they would do that because Don Sutton would be a great one when you talk about a baseball life. You know, Colin Braves games most recently, you know, what he's been doing, you know, and that's a good staff they have there with uh, Chip Carey and, and – um, um, Tom Glavin and others that are work on the uh, the Braves broadcast. Chip Harry, did you show Chip Carey? Uh, Carey, sorry, Harry Carey's grandson. My mistake. Um, 
Right, like like uh, the, the Cuban outfielder who you have as a French Robert. Yeah, Luis Robert, uh, who's playing for the White Sox, uh, the great the greatest French outfielder ever. But if you look at Don Sutton's numbers, even when he was forty two years old, he threw thirty. He went. He had thirty four starts. He went eleven and eleven. But forty two years old, he had thirty four starts. We can't even get guys to go thirty four starts at age twenty five, and Sutton's doing it at age at age forty two. So, kudos to him. A, 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 I mean, the 300 win. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, you look at – people go through his numbers and go, oh, you know, he didn't win a World Series. Well, it's, it doesn't matter. He won 300 games. He was an all-star. Um, he was an, e, an ERA title. Um, the guy's a legend, and he left his left his too soon, but that's just another Hall of Famer, sadly, in the last year that we've lost. Um, you know, between Gibson and, you know, um, Al Kaline and, you know, the list goes on, Tom Seaver – there's been too many this past year, and, and Don Sutton's is now added to the list, unfortunately. How many ballots, as I read those numbers off to you, because strikeouts, you love the 3,000 strikeout club, right? Uh, uh, absolutely, yes. So he had 3,574 strikeouts. I mentioned all those starts, 324 wins, a 3.26 career ERA. Like, if that guy's on the ballot now, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's no question. But how they used to judge it back then is a whole different deal. How many ballots do you think he was on? Well, it's not fair because I have his baseball reference page open, but I'll just, I didn't look. Um, I would say 358 or something like that. No, no, no. How many, actually, let me ask a better question. How many years did it take to get him in? Oh, his final year was uh, what? What year was it? Like 1980, 1988? It took fifteen. No, it's nineteen ninety-eight. No, no, I'm saying his final year was nineteen eighty-eight in the league. Because so you figure five years after that we'd ninety-three. And then Wikipedia is wrong on this then, because they got him going in in nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, it, it was five ballots. It took him five ballots to get on. Yeah, they they have him going. His final game was nineteen. His final year was nineteen eighty eight. So five years later, it'll be ninety three. So yeah, it took five years for him to get in in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, that's right. Does it does it tell me does it tell me many ballots he was on out of the writers? Uh, let me see. Yeah, oh yeah, he got eighty one point six percent. Yeah, three hundred eighty six out of a possible four hundred seventy three ballots. Don Sutton was on. He was in a rotation that had Sandy Koufax. Don Drysdale, Claude Osteen, back when you had a four-man rotation. We'll talk to Ray Fossey about this coming up here at 2.30. But, I mean, what an amazing career. His number 20 is retired by the Dodgers. He's in the Braves Hall of Fame. I guess the Dodgers don't have a Hall of Fame. That seems Which awesome. is which yeah, which seems odd. You think of all the great players that they've had, from Brooklyn to L.A., that they would have some kind of killer Hall of Fame. I'm, I mean, it's one of the things that you know we talked about, and it's one of the great accomplishments for Dave Cavill, as our fan base has said for a year. Hey, look at all the great players, all the Hall of Famers we have. Why don't we have a Hall of Fame? Dave Cavill made that happen. We now have a Hall of Fame. Yeah, I just looked there. They don't. It looks like they don't have one. It just says, you know, list of Dodgers players in the Hall of Fame, like the actual Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. But it doesn't look like the Dodgers actually have one, which is just remarkable for all the history they have from playing in Brooklyn, like you said, to to now in L.A. and just like you know, starting pitchers and just the starting pitchers alone. 
their starting rotation is ridiculous with, you know, you Koufax and Sutton and Hershaw's um, uh, um, not in the Hall of Fame, but this is the guys they've had throughout the time. Kershaw, um, Fernando Mania. They've had so many good starting pitchers go through that organization. It's a truly remarkable uh, level of success they were able to sustain. And Don Sutton back in the day when he pitched with Drysdale and, and Koufax was no different. He pitched from 1966 to 1988. My San Jose State, Matt, is that 23 years? Yes. 1966 to 1988. Be 23 years. Yes, that's correct. Wow. Can you imagine pitching in Major League Baseball for 23 years? Guys are happy for a couple years. And he spent 16 of his years with the Dodgers, which is remarkable. So almost, what, you know, yeah, it'll be three, about three quarters of his career he spent with the Dodgers. So it's not like a guy where he played half his year here and then, you know, eight years there and then two years here. It was 16 years with the Dodgers, three with the Angels, three with the Brewers, two with the Astros, one with the A's. So he was 13-8 and eight with a 3.89 ERA, 29 starts, and 100 and. 94 and two third and uh, a third innings for the Oakland athletics when he was 40 years old. So he must've been traded from the California angels where he was two and two to the Oakland athletics or vice versa. Let's look at his Wikipedia. Cause I would have been not even high school at that point. Uh, where are we Don Sutton late in your career? 1985. Sutton was traded to the Oakland Athletics in exchange for Ray Burris. He was reluctant to report to the team as he was hoping to play for a team in Southern California so that he could live at home with his family, understandably. But, yeah, we have lost so many good greatness, some great players. And that's, you know, it's it's just a reality. The Hall of Famers get older. What, what, what's the talk? I wasn't able to, to, to watch it. I was watching MLB now, but they had a report on it. What, what are they talking about doing? They got to have something. I mean, Jeter and Walker got to go in. Their plaques got to go up. Are they going to have a virtual Hall of Fame? What, what, what's going to happen uh, for this induction ceremony in late July? I haven't really seen anything on it because I didn't get a chance to see that. I know what you're talking about because he – the Hall of Fame ballot, the nominees that will could could be enshrined this year, comes out I think next Tuesday, the twenty sixth. But the way it's going, and from everything I've read and heard on TV and everything, it sounds like nobody's going to get in this year. It's just going to be Walker and Jeter, and then you know Simmons and um, the Hawk and everyone else that you know got in uh, last year. Um, outside of the players, are going to be the only ones that are going to be enshrined this year, and then. Next year, you'll have another, the class that didn't go in this year plus the new core of people coming in in 2022, which I think – is that A-Rod? Is that A-Rod's class? Uh, you talk about a mess. Uh, Hall of Fame weekend 2021 will take place July 23rd through the 26th. So it looks like they're planning on doing it in New York. Because remember, we, we talked about uh, last time, uh, the Bills had fans at their playoff game. They had fans again this past weekend. So maybe they'll put, you know, socially. I mean, we saw the inauguration today. They had people there. So you can socially distance, I think, doing that um, if you want to keep Oh, it safe. that lawn? 
that lawn that they have there at Cooperstown is so expansive, you could easily social distance there. But they were, I mean, this was, you know, as big as Mariano Rivera is, he's not Derek Jeter. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Jeter, he personified the Yankees. I mean, for were... that run and that dynasty run that they had, Jeter was the guy. I mean, when Derek Jeter going into the Hall of Fame, and I know A's fans want to throw up in their mouths right now, and I hear you, but uh, I bet they're expecting a record crowd. Oh, totally. I mean, if you if it was just Jeter alone with nobody else, it would be a record crowd. Yeah, it'd be a record crowd. But, and I don't know how they would do this. And maybe you got to buy like a ticket, or because normally um, it's free. You can go to the ceremony. I mean, you're going to be way back, but it's free to go. I mean, the only thing you got to pay for is to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is it's not that expensive if I remember correctly. Um, you could totally social distance. I mean, I don't know how they police it and how they make that happen, but yeah. I mean, at some point, you've got to put Derek Jeter and you've got to put Larry Walker's plaque in, in the plaque room. You can't keep holding this off. You know, you're going to honor Marvin Miller, Ted Simmons. I mean, these guys got to go in. Whether you're going to have fans or not. I mean, if you do a virtual one, I mean, it sucks for Jeter and Larry Walker, but they got to go in. And it's time. Maybe they're hoping uh, hoping with vaccinations. I don't know how fast they're going to get out, and I don't know how that works. Um, how's your fiance doing with it? Uh, she had the second dose done. Um, she got done last week. And it seems like the second dose is, I don't, she hasn't had any side effects. She just felt really fatigued, but she's always tired from working all the time. So it's she like works a night shift. So yeah. Yeah. So nothing's really different there, but um, yeah, she hasn't had any effects. Like I know she said she's had some coworkers that have uh, taken some days off after they got the vaccine, just, you know, to make sure they're not fatigued and all that stuff. But she was, she's been fine. Uh, she's been to work Good. a few times since then. So you know, we're, we're seeing it be rolled out more. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to do more with the ballparks, you know, the, you know, Petco and Dodger Stadium. And, you know, they're trying to get the Coliseum and Oracle Park and SAP right down the street from me and right down the street from you. Like, they're trying to get this going so we can have the vaccines and to, to get to people and then get us back to a little bit of normalcy because, um, you know, let's, let's be honest, we kind of need it <laughs> anymore. I mean, we're going on a year almost where we haven't been able to – really do anything and it's funny Dina actually asked me my fiance actually asked me she goes when you guys go back to work and everything's normal will you go back to doing the show from Townie's house and I was like um I, I, that's not up to me that's up to him I was like we kind of like this remote thing is kind of working I mean yeah, it'd be great to see each other in person but like I think we'll just stick to if we can do it at the Coliseum we'll do that but if we're going to be at home we should just do it at home you know what it's more comfortable yeah, I mean, not 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 that I don't want to be in that crammed studio with you with the air conditioner and heater, but now that we got all the amenities in there, I don't know. You're living large now. Oh, I got an air conditioner. I got a heater. I mean, you kidding me? I'm all. Uh, by the way, last time I did see Cody, just taking you behind the curtain. So my kids are 15, and um, if they are going to use the Shark Tank parking lot for vaccinating people, um, lately the Shark Tank parking lot has been. Uh, where I'm training my kids how to drive. 
because before you know it, they're going to be going for their permit. So uh, Abigail and uh, Madeline have been terrorizing the Shark Tank parking lot in my car as driving's not the problem. Parking has been an issue. Confirmed. Parking, yeah, and, and <laughs> Cody got to uh, Cody got to see it firsthand. Parking is not. Th- th- we're working on it. We're working on parking. By the way, when you put this down, and then I looked at it, I, I you know. To listen to what the Red Sox have become, Sam Kennedy, do you have audio for this? No, it was an article Shaughnessy wrote in the Globe earlier today. Dan Shaughnessy, that is. Friend of the program, Dan Shaughnessy. So the Red Sox, who are now simply the Tampa Bay Red Sox, they're full on admitting to their fan base, yeah, we're not going for it. Yeah, we're not trying. But by the way, we're going to charge you the highest tickets in baseball. You will pay more to go to a Boston Red Sox game than any other team in baseball, including the Yankees. But, oh, by the way, we're not, you know, at this point, we're not really going for it. Quote, we cherish that title, talking about 2018. We cherish that title and all of them, but the way we built that team came at a price, which included, importantly, a depleted farm system and some depleted draft picks along the way. So we are building back up, and as we do this, hopefully the right way, and we'll have a chance to be competitive in the American League East in 2021, but also for the longer term. 2021, how is that possible? Are you telling me their prospects are going to be ready to compete against the elite level in the American League East just one year later? If I was a Red Sox fan, I would be pissed. I mean, they're already mad all the time anyway, so this is adds fuel to the fire. <laughs> it's par for the court. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think they feel about Tom Brady moving on to the NFC title game? Mookie Betts winning a World Series. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You let your stars leave. I just, you know, and that's got to be something that for Major League Baseball, Madison Avenue, the home office, our our, our guy Rob Manfred, I got to think that when you're looking at two a year, well, actually three, three of your big franchises, Teams with big bucks in the Red Sox and the Cubs and the Giants are all rebuilding. That's not a good look for your sport. And this is something that I don't know how they figure it out. But when when you've got flat when you got flagship teams not trying. And we don't exactly know the Cubs route, but we think it's going to be like this. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's part of the problem for the players and for Major League Baseball is when you've got the Padres and you've got the Blue Jays going for it and you got the Red Sox going, oh, we're going we're gonna to rebuild and we're going to 
That's why Hein Bloom, I'm telling you, is not going to last in Boston. This will only this is only going to go so far. Like you can say 2020. Who wants to hear beyond 2021? Well, it came out. It came, I was say it came out the other day too that apparently they're not going to rush back Chris Sale either. Which I, I mean, I wouldn't. Um, By the way, I don't understand. We're in 2021. Yeah, so he's trying to say they're going to be competitive this year. I, if you're going to try try to trade Andrew Benintendi, who only makes six and like six and a half million dollars, uh, if because you want to get younger players or bring in free agents, why don't you start at the top and try to get rid of JD Martinez first, who makes a lot of money, who's aging and can only DH. Why don't you start there if you're trying to rebuild the, the way you're doing? I, I'm surprised Heim hasn't moved on from him, but they're trying to move on from Benintendi and bring in someone else. And th- well, that, that, hey, that's part of our problem is are we going to have a DH in both leagues or not? What's the deal? Well, hopefully we find out you know before spring training starts. I mean, <laughs> what's the date today, the 20th? Yeah, spring training is supposed to start. Uh, pitchers and catchers report sometime like the 17th or 18th or something like that. Of February. I mean, seriously, because because that would actually help the free agent market, because then like if I'm a National League team and you're now telling me, you know, you got to have a DH that opens up a market for a lot of guys, according to our buddy Bob Nightingale. And everybody hates these rules. I love them. I, I don't know, Cody, we must be we must we're not in the norm. I like the runner on second base and extra innings. I think it brings intrigue. I think it brings in strategy. The A's were the first to have it. We will go down as the first team that were involved in the runner on second base to start extra innings. And that runner was? Shohei Otani. Who remember, it was It was almost like, he was like, what do I got to do? <laughs> <laughs> and the great play by Matt Olson to Matt Chapman. Yeah, the runners starting on second base, uh, seven-inning doubleheaders, loved them. Loved them. But then we don't even play doubleheaders, really. I mean, a regular season, a doubleheader is like one special day. I, I don't get the fascination with – because here, here's the problem. Here's the problem with data. So traditionalist baseball people – they don't care about data away from the field. Would you back me on that? Oh, yeah. I, I believe so. Yeah, they don't. When, when you talk to traditional baseball people and they say to you, I don't like this and I don't like that. Well, I could turn around and go, hey, I can show you television ratings. I can show you radio ratings. I can show you ticket sales. I can. I, I, there's so many different things that I can show you. That, yeah, you may not like it, but the data shows you're wrong. No one wants two nine-inning games. No one wants 16-inning. By the time you get to a certain point at night for an extra-inning game, the TV radio ratings, everybody's gone. You can see it in the ballpark. There's like a 1,000 people in the ballpark. Everybody's gone home. And it's funny how all these people go, I, you know, baseball shouldn't have a clock and baseball shouldn't have this. And you're just like, okay, you are so in the minority. 
everybody's gone. No one's watching on TV. No one's at the ballpark. No one's watching on radio. Everybody's gone. We can't have a sport that just satisfies the small part of the fan base. Most people got to work the next day if it's not. Well, most people got to work the next day. And if it's summertime, well, that's great. Kids can stay up. But if it's not, kids are already gone to bed. Your audience is gone. Who are you playing for? A couple hundred people? Especially from a radio standpoint. That's not good business. Now, if you told me there was 100,000 people listening on the radio in the 16th inning, I would say keep playing it, baby. But there's not. So these rules are to speed up the game. And I have no problem with them. So, and, and I told you a long time ago, they're here to say, and we haven't even decided on expanded playoffs yet, right? No, the D, it's the DH and the uh, expanded playoffs is what they're still trying to figure out. It sounds like. Now, the expanded- yeah, how, how, how many people hated the expanded playoffs? Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people. That, well, I'm saying this actually seriously and kind of in a joking way. There probably were people that were mad that the Marlins were in the playoffs. But as someone that righteously said the Marlins would be in the playoffs and selfishly, uh, I'm glad they were. I like those kind of stories, especially because it, it takes away and incentivizes teams not to tank, in my opinion. If you have seven playoff spots in each league for these teams to try to make it, why would you try to tank? Try to make the playoffs. Extra money in the playoffs. Revenue. Revenue sharing. TV money. Playoff money. If you win the World Series, you get money. I think you can add more money to your, to your roster. It doesn't. Yeah, it helps a lot. You just made a very good point, Cody. You made a very good point. To the old guard that doesn't like it, hey, this, in, this incentivizes teams not to try and lose. When you've got a bunch of teams making the postseason and you're trying to lose, it's bad luck. And maybe baseball should, you know, we always reward, we always reward trash. Maybe we should change that. Maybe we should change the teams that make the postseason, the teams that tried. Maybe we reward them with draft picks. Since baseball is so hell-bent on draft picks, wouldn't that be interesting? I'm going to tank so I can get the number one pick. You know what? You know who gets the number one pick? The team that had the worst record but made the postseason. And then they get to draft all the way down to the team that won the World Series. And then after that, the last place team and then go down that way. Now people say, oh, that's unfair. Well, you know what? I'm giving incentive to the Marlins for going for it. And then now, now, now that's going to give the Red Sox and the Cubs and the Giants a reason now not to stink and, and be on the sidelines. Some, you know, I, I still believe in the floor. I think if you're going to have a ceiling, you got to have a floor. If you made every team spend at least, give me a number, sixty million. That seems reasonable. I would go with maybe seventy. Okay, seventy. Okay, you can go out and lose a hundred games, but you got to spend seventy million on payroll. I don't know if the owners would go for that, but I mean, we've got to figure out creative ways 
to keep people from saying, I'm not trying this year. We'll see in two years. It's not good for your sport to have people say, we're just going to stink. And it's not like you're, it's not like you're stinking for Michael Jordan sitting there, or Peyton Manning sitting there. You're drafting some kid that you have no idea how good he's going to be. I kind of like that idea about the drafts because all these guys, you know, oh, the Astros, look at all the guys they got in the draft. Okay, we're going to take that away. The incentive is the, 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 the carrot I'm going to dangle in front of you is now not going to be finish last and you get the first pick. Expand the playoffs and the team that has the last play, the team that has the worst record but made the playoffs, we're going to give them the first pick. And then we're going to go all the way down to the World Series team. You know, instead of hurting the World Series team with draft picks because they went for it, they're still going to get a pretty good pick. They'll get like the, what, 16th pick? Let's say you have eight teams. Yeah, so yeah, 16, yeah. And look at look, look, look at you coming up with this idea the year that my beloved Pirates have the number one pick in the draft. Let's just let's take it away from. Actually, I'm I'm okay. I like your idea. Actually. For example, we're rewarding the Pittsburgh Pirates for not trying. What kind of system do we have? We're rewarding them for losing and trying to lose. It was one thing if they went all in and lost, and you go okay. But now these teams have figured out: let's not spend any money. Let's get hammered. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna collect the money from baseball. We're gonna get we're gonna make money. It's just this, the system's got to change. You know what? We'll talk to Raymond Fossey next. It's a Wednesday. It's a Fossey day right here on A's Pass Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, we're back on track. No more Thursday stuff. It's a Wednesday. Hit it, Cody. <laughs> Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. How you doing, Ray? I can't believe you called me Raymond. I just called you Ray. No, 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 no. I, I was listening to you and said, we're going to talk to Raymond. The great Raymond Fossey. When I put great, I have to say Raymond. Great Raymond Fossey. It just sounds better. Well, that's very kind of you because that is my real name. But my late mother was the only one that called me that. When she did, I was in trouble. So, uh, you know, it, it was uh, anyway, that's fine. That's she, fine. How are you guys doing? She's looking down going, yep, they're showing my son respect. That's right. That's right. How are you guys doing? Cody, how are you doing? Cody, how are you? I'm good, Ray. How are you doing? Great, great. Your your beloved pirates, huh? You know, you, you guys have some interesting subjects. I, I enjoy listening to you break down a lot of different things. You know that uh, I don't think this show is long enough with me to to uh, kind of talk about what you guys were analyzing and, and breaking down. But uh, you know, I'll leave it up to you, Townie. Uh, and and I know you're probably going to start with the unfortunate passing of Don Sutton a couple of nights ago, because that was heartbreaking. Yeah. At 75 years old, I did say, if you're going to go going in your sleep is the way to go, but truly, you know, one of the greats, uh, when you think of all the wins, you think of all the starts um, pitched in some iconic games. He pitched on some incredible staffs. 
it's just sad all the Hall of Famers we've lost. And oh, uh, gosh. what what a career Don Seton had, not only as a player, but also as a broadcaster. You know, he was on television and then went to radio. And um, we were in Atlanta, you know, a few years ago. It hasn't been that long. But I remember, I think John Smoltz was doing some games on TV. But I had a chance to talk to Don, who was uh, on radio at the time. And, I, 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 you know, I'll never forget what he said that because at the time or once daylight saving time goes back to normal we in california are three hours behind them and he said you know i really enjoy your games because we finish our game i go home i get a beverage of choice i sit down and i watch the games or listen to the game but watch them you know at that time uh, doing a lot of television uh, which i was at the time and so he said it was it was always great to to sit down and and watch the games and listen to you guys on the broadcast team. And so, you know, even from afar, he was following a team that he played for in 1985, but uh, it was great having, him. but I think the one thing you guys talked about was a number of starts that he made and Cody, you said it best. I think when you said it'd be lucky if we could get a guy to make 25 to 30 starts on a, on a regular basis where he did it consistently. And remember when he started, it was a four man rotation. And how, how about being a part, Connie, as you mentioned, with uh, oh Sandy Colfax and Don Drysdale and Claude Osteen? <laughs> that's a pretty good that's a pretty good rotation to be a part of to be a kid. And kind of reminds me a little bit of John Palmer, who uh, joined the Orioles as a kid, and they won the World Championship, which happened to be, I think, against the Dodgers uh, in the mid '60s. But you know, a great loss, uh, unfortunately. But I think God's got a tremendous team in heaven because man, you you look at the Hall of Famers. Uh, I was talking to Dr. Schwartz yesterday and uh, I had mentioned it to him. And he said, my, my, it's just a, the number is just unbelievable in the last 12 months of the hall of famers who have passed away. But, um, you know, he's, uh, he's in good company in heaven, I'm sure. And uh, let, let's hope that uh, he can join that great rotation of what Gibson, Whitey Ford, uh, Joe Necro, Tom Seaver. That's a heck of a rotation that uh, unfortunately we lost. Uh, baseball loss and America loss in the last uh, in the last year. I mean, when he came up with the Dodgers in 1966 at 21 years old, Ray he pitched in 37 games and started <laughs> 35 as a 21 year old. Amazing, and it? it really is amazing. And I, I like the stat that was thrown out about um, he's what third in total game started, never missed a start. You talk about. You talk about longevity, number one, but durability, the most important thing that, you know, you could pencil his name in either in a four-man rotation or five-man rotation. And I'm going to say this, too, and, and you mentioned that he pitched 23 years. I remember when Gaylord Perry, who pitched, um, I don't know, 23, 24 seasons, uh, Cody's got the baseball reference to know exactly. But, you know, people say, well, look at how many years he pitched. I said, hey, wait a minute. The guy doesn't pitch just because you like him. He's pitching. <laughs> Because he's good, and Don Sutton, like Gaylord Perry, able to sustain that longevity to be able to pitch and pitch effectively. So you cannot deny someone uh, the ability, if he has the ability to pitch that long and, and to pitch that many innings and be that successful, you cannot deny him. But, uh, you know, in 85, I think it was 85 when he was with the athletics, I remember there was one one time, you know, as the, uh, the 580 turns into the 238 to the 880 to get to the Coliseum. It was a day game, and I remember Don was living in the East Bay and evidently was on the 580, and as he got to the 238, he was just a, a parking lot. And he was pitching that day, so he was, he was coming in a little bit later. 
And as it turned out, there was a, a woman who saw him, recognized him, and said, you're Don Sutton? He says, yeah, and I'm pitching it. Then he says, well, follow me. So he got a police escort to the Coliseum so he could make the start. Otherwise, I don't know that he would have made it. You know, um, I, I know how I could have gone and, and been there on time. I take a different route. But uh, new to the ball club, new to the area, he took that route. But he got the police escort to make sure he got there on time. But, you know, a tremendous person. And, um, you know, it's just it's just very sad. He, he will definitely be missed. Yeah. You know, it's so funny when people say that kind of stuff like, Oh, he just accumulated stats because he played over 20 years. <laughs> yeah, right. You know how yeah. good you have to be to play over 20 years? And, and I don't care, Ray. I don't care if we're talking hockey, football, like watching Drew Brees up, up against uh, Tom Brady. These guys are in their 40s. I mean, to play. Right. Hey, listen, these front, front offices, the only reason they're going to sign you is because they, they believe you can help them win. And the fact that people like, oh, he played 20. To play 23 years in Major League Baseball, my God. No, no, you're exactly right. And like Cody said, and we've talked about the, the five-year period of time between the last game you pitch or last year you play, uh, five years when you're eligible for the Hall of Fame. So, you know, the fact that he was on the ballot, what, five times before he was finally elected, it's absurd to think yeah. about that. But, you know, the, there, are, there are a couple of things. Number one, that the 10-year the that you have to play uh, in Major League Baseball to be eligible for the Hall of Fame, but this statistic – tells me more than anything about the longevity guys who can pitch a long time the major league baseball pension which is probably the best as far as when it can start when you can take it but it used to be to max out it was 20 years nobody was pitching or playing 20 years so they reduced it to 10 what does that tell you so to have somebody like Don Sutton or Gaylord Perry just a couple that I mentioned to be able to play and pitch effectively that long for those two guys give them a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, they're both the hall of fame. Fortunately, Gaylord's still with us, but, uh, uh, unfortunately Don is not. You know, when I think about pitching that long, how many times do you have to reinvent yourself to get outs in 23 years? Well, I don't know how long Frank Tanana pitched, but he's a prime example of someone who could throw hard. Matter of fact, he pitched against Dennis Eckersley in 1977 on Memorial Day at the mistake by the lake in Cleveland, and that's when Eck pitched his no-hitter. And he was a fireballer. I mean, I don't even know if they had guns at the time, but he was throwing, had to be mid to upper 90s, and then he lost the velocity. And when he pitched for the Tigers, he was a crafty left-hander. I mean, he threw that slow, slow curveball and a lot of change-ups, but – he reinvented himself, but you take somebody like Don Sutton. He always had the curveball, which I was fortunate to hit a hanger in the 74 World Series um, <laughs> that we've talked about. But, you know, it, it, I was lucky. Uh, he just happened to hang it. And I just happened to make contact on it. But he had a good breaking ball. He, he, he knew how to pitch. And I think the longer you can pitch, especially as a pitcher, and hitters adjust too, because I remember the great uh, uh, Brooks Robinson made some adjustments that he told me about as his career extended but from a pitcher standpoint if you don't make some changes first of all you're not going to be able to throw the, the mid-90s Nolan Ryan's an exception to the rule uh, of being able to do that but if you're not and don't have the ability to throw hard you have to make some adjustments and Don Sutton did that I mean his his talking about repeating mechanics and you know as a pitcher yourself that it's the most important thing and you have pitching coaches talk about repeat your mechanics you watch and, and we've seen a lot in the last couple of days, uh, especially yesterday and today, 
his mechanics all throughout his career, I don't know, wind up exactly the same. I cannot look at one of those that he was pitching with various teams that his windup deviated one iota, which that in itself says a lot about him. Now, you have the same mechanics, but then you change the type of pitches you're going to be throwing. But he always had the signature curveball, that 12 to 6. And, oh, by the way, I guess if you are a teammate and on the same rotation as Sandy Koufax, you're probably going to pick up a good curveball, which he did have. Yeah, Nolan Ryan only pitched 27 years. How about that? And and, and I, I read something on him, and we talked about it before, that his last pitch before he blew out his arm uh, was 98 miles an hour. <laughs> 98 miles. You know, and, and so, you know, he, he he's just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw the other day they, uh, I was looking at um, something where they were talking ceremonial first pitches. He threw an 85-mile-an-hour fastball. You know, it is, you know, he's, he's in his seventies, but he's throwing the first pitch, throwing on the first pitch, 85. I mean, what does that tell you about him? Just a, he's a, 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 had a bionic arm and, uh, you know, uh, if, if he, I remember when he was uh, president and part owner of the Texas Rangers, I'd, I'd never forget seeing him sit down by the dugout. And if you're a pitcher, you're, you're going to stay out. You don't want to come out of a game because you have to walk by uh, the, the express. And he's going to be saying, what are you doing coming out of a game? You know, look at your pitch count. So, but, uh, you know, they're, they're rare people, but, uh, Cody, I agree with you. You know, if we could get some guys who could pitch, um, deep in games, the way pitchers of the past, again, nothing against the current pitchers because they make good money. They want to be protected or the, the clubs want to protect them because they make the money. They do not want to abuse them, but I would like to see that because if you think about if you the starter can go seven innings, then you have your setup man and your closer. You're going to win a lot of ball games that way. So you got you, you were in that first draft. What was that? Sixty five. Yes. So Nolan Ryan came up. I finally have it in front of me. Nolan Ryan came up in '66 and pitched all the way till I was in college in 1993. <laughs> and you know, you know the thing. <laughs> The thing about Nolan Ryan when he was in the American League and what a trade to go to the Angels, uh, well, from the Mets. But, you know, I've, I've always said that when the schedule came out, the Angels would look at the schedule and look at it in, you know, let's say in right now in 2021 or let's say 20, and you see in 21, the Angels are going to be playing a 505 game in Anaheim on August the 23rd. Nolan Ryan's pitching that game because you couldn't see. You couldn't see the shadows, and he would always pitch those games. And now he didn't need to pitch that way to pitch seven no-hitters. I mean, he was that good. You, you know, he's a pitcher, the type of pitcher that you could go to the ballpark every game that he pitched and say, this man has a chance to do something special and pitch a no-hitter. That's why times you want to see somebody, an individual pitch or play, that's good. Nolan Ryan was that type of a pitcher. Remember when Frank DeFord put, this is going to age us. Remember when Frank DeFord put out the national, the sports daily? Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, used, I used to get that every day as a kid. And I remember it was Nolan Ryan's with the Rangers and they were always like, Nolan Ryan could be coming to Anaheim for the last time. This is the last time. he <laughs> And of course he pitched like years later. I'll, I'll never forget driving up in my Volkswagen bug from San Diego to Anaheim. <laughs> and, and Nolan Ryan hit Dante Bichette in the head. Dante was playing for the Angels. He went down, didn't get up, did not get up. Like, it was like one of the scariest things I had ever seen. I mean, when Nolan Ryan, 
Uh, all right, Ray. So you've been listening to the show. I want your opinion on this because maybe we've cracked the code here. I, I hate I hate losing. I hate rebuilding. I don't want any part of that. It drives me nuts. I don't like how we're rewarding it in baseball, and a lot of it is around the draft. So how about yeah. we change it to where if we're going to have expanded playoffs, the team with the worst record who made the playoffs, they get the first pick, and it goes all the way down to the team that won the World Series. So we're rewarding you for winning World Series, let's say with the yeah. 16th pick, and then all the losers you get to draft after that. So that's going to force teams to try and get in the postseason if they want to get draft picks. Yeah, that's that's a good good call. I, I like that. I heard that, and I thought that was good because um, you do reward people for winning. I, I, you know, I know you guys have talked about tanking. I don't believe in tanking. I, I believe sometimes it's rebuilding because of the circumstances. So that's where I don't like the word tanking, just because you know sometimes you just cannot afford uh, based on attendance. Now, if you could guarantee you're going to draw two and a half to three million people every year, you're going to have the revenue coming in. And then you could sign free agents just like George Springer, the Toronto Blue Jays, you know. And I, I like what you said about the uh, Boston Red Sox. You, you know, the game is so great. You cannot say, okay, we're going to rebuild this year and then we're going to be competitive next year. You can't do that. That's not the way the game is played. And especially if a team like the Blue Jays, let's say they get Michael Brantley to go along with George Springer. And then the young core players they already have, in addition to the pitchers they have, they're going to be a perennial winner in the Eastern Division, a team that a lot of teams are going to have to look up to. And the Boston Red Sox, you know, if you think about the Yankees, who are always going to be good, the Tampa Bay Rays, even though they, <laughs> I think very bad they traded Blake Snell, but they seem to find a way. But, you know, they're, they're going to be uh, – the, the Red Sox might find themselves in the middle of the pack or towards the back of the pack versus the top, which they were. And But, you know, that's what winning did – for the Red Sox, remember they they went so long without winning, and then they've won four, two thousand four, seven, thirteen, and eighteen. It's like okay, we've won enough. No, you haven't, because you 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 charge the ticket prices that you talked about. You want to be competitive as a team. Now, granted, if you win, you have to pay players. But Cody, I like what you said about uh, if you, if you're going to start getting rid of players, get rid of the high price players if you're not expected to win and maybe kind of rebuild that way, why pay somebody who's making a lot of money instead of like a Benintendi, who's still a relatively young player. It'd be nice. I know the A's have talked about trying to get him. That's a left-handed bat that would fit in nicely, but uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just part of it, but you know what the expanded playoffs. And, and I believe it was a success last year, but I strongly believe and you, you guys let me know what you think about this, that if you're going to expand the playoffs, the team that wins the division has to have a buy. You cannot penalize them. Just like the A's won the division last year. Houston said, we're going to be in no matter what. So it was almost like, who cares if we win or not? We're going to be in the postseason. But let's say it's like the A's win or won this past year. If they got a buy in that first round and then took the winner of the wild card, there is a reason then to try to win the division versus taking the two top teams. Now again, last year, was an aberration. I hope. I, I think it was uh, one of those years we hope never happens again with a shortened season and, and doing that. But, you know, the A's could have won the division or did win the division. They could have been out after the first round against the White Sox. And to me, that would have been a shame to have the team play so well and losing that first round and be going home versus saying, okay, we won the division. Now we could sit and watch teams play three consecutive three games or two, win two out of three. 
to try to advance from there. And uh, but you know, there, there's some good ideas. But I, I do like what you said about the draft. And I'm not just saying it because agreeing with you. But uh, you know, if, if you're going to reward a team for finishing last by giving them the top draft choice, you know, uh, you're not. You, first of all, you don't know who you're getting or what you're getting. But I think most importantly, if your scouting department is good and the A's do have one led by Eric Kubota, you know, you're going to you're going to find the good players that are out there and hope that they do make it. But, man, if you can make the playoffs be one of those top 16 teams and you start getting a draft choice based on where you finish that way, I think that's a great, great formula to have. And, Ray, I got to tell you, you go to ESPN.com, you go to their Major League Baseball section, you can click on uh, the free agent tracker. It is scary, but also good, I think, for teams as we're starting to see. Once the top guys come off the board, we're going to see a lot more going on, but – there are a lot of players out there and good players that can help you yeah. win ball games. No, I agree with you. And, and I think the closer we get to what is supposed to be a normal spring training starting on time, which would be mid, mid-February, as you guys talked about, uh, and, and, and you know, if that's what the commissioner says, then you're going to see all of a sudden players saying, oh, give me a chance to play. Give me a one-year contract. Um, you know, if, if they can get a major league deal, that's great. But you may see some of these players taking a minor league deal with a spring training invite, knowing they have a pretty good chance of making the club on a pretty good team. But it does take away from the fact that they're not going to be on the major league roster. And there are a lot of uh, rules of the game that apply to them if they're not on the roster. But, you know, it it seems like it's every year, but it seems even more so this year. Springer's off. Um, You were talking to a gentleman uh, with ESPN. He said Bauer probably – the, the most notable, I agree. Uh, Trevor Bauer, probably, I don't know if he's going to get the money he's he's wanting to get, you know, what, Garrett Cole type money. But, uh, you know, for George Springer to be off, I'm glad he's in that Eastern Division, to be honest, instead <laughs> of with Houston, because, you know, six to seven games max versus 19, that's a huge difference, you know, when you're playing somebody who is as good as George Springer is. But like I said before, if they get Michael Brantley, he fits in nicely in that lineup as a designated hitter. And um, if they can figure out then where they're going to play in 2021, uh, they're going to have a good team, and they could be very, very good for a long time. You know, Ray, when I start thinking about spring training, and obviously you live in the Valley of the Sun, um, if you're only going to have, like, your 40-man roster there, because it's always a joke, like, when you guys are broadcasting the games and all of a sudden there's guys in there. I I remember last year I went down the line. They had that great noodle bowl down the line, the food truck. And I, right. I remember going down there, and uh, it was when the Dodgers were taking on the A's. And that was like a game, like, we had a bunch of national guys there because, like, this could be the preview right. of, of the World Series, right? So I remember going down, and, like, on third base was number 89. On second yeah. base was number 88. And on first base was number 88. They had two number 88s. And I'm thinking, if we're going to play spring training with only the 40-man roster – I'm kind of thinking, and obviously limited people in the ballpark, I could see us not playing nine-inning games because you just don't have enough guys. You know, that's a good point, except, uh, you know, they had the what the alternate site during the regular season, the 60-game schedule. The, the thing, and I remember talking to Keith Lippman, uh, Director of Player Development, which uh, he is now kind of uh, consultant with Ed Spring Jr. handling that role. I can see that they would bring players in to be ready because – not so much, well, for the minor league season, yes, but I think also for the those guys, they would always come over from the minor league camp because, you know, I don't know. It's 
it, it, it's going to change. And if it does, to your point about 40 men on, you know, say Steve Lucinich has 40 guys in the clubhouse versus 60 to 70 uh, until they start the, um, the countdown to minor league season. But that alternate side, which is nice for the A's at Mesa because they have the park where they could, they work out at the beginning of spring training and then go back to Hohokam for their games, but yet the, the other players can stay there and work out. So, you know, it remains to be seen what can happen. But, but one of the things, too, Townie, um, if, let's say, spring training starts on time, what happens if Florida Governor DeSanto says, oh, this is great, you know, everybody's going to go, but Arizona, maybe they don't. Who knows? But, I mean, there, there has to be a level playing field because I don't see how you can start Florida spring training but not Arizona at the same time. So let's hope between now and next month that between the vaccines, whatever is going to be happening, that players can show up, Mickey Morbido can get everybody in camp and uh, get them ready to go and start the season, the, pre- the, the spring training on time, as well as the regular season. But, you know, back to your point about all those players uh, at the beginning, it's because the, the team that basically is going to be playing during the regular season for the A's, two at-bats maybe, pitchers throw 20 pitches, 30 pitches, so by the time you go through all those players, you need an abundance of players to come in and fill it out. And I always thought, and I've said it pretty much every spring, that I remember Cito Gaston always said when he managed the Toronto Blue Jays and their, their championships in, uh, what, 92, 93, he always said you can, you can figure out how good your farm system is by the latter part of spring training games because those are the players who are playing. And, you know, you see a lot of excitement because those young players get a chance to play and it's a major league game. They put on a major league uniform, even though they might have number 88 or, or 99 or whatever it might be. Uh, they're still playing in the major league park for the major league game. And uh, you, you can see a definite excitement, excitement, especially when the team comes back and wins. So, you know, let's just hope everything gets back to normal. And uh, whether there's a lot of fans in the stands at the beginning and they gradually get them back in on a full time basis. Um, you know, I think we were all hopeful that during the summer, that by the time March rolled around or February rolled, rolled around, it's going to be back to normal. But unfortunately, it looks like it's not going to happen. You're the best. We'll talk to you next week. We finished already. We're done. Oh, my goodness. That's too fast. That's too fast. But you've got a great show. You guys are great. And uh, I'm glad we were able to get the Wednesday back before the season started. So uh, Alex Jensen, that recorded spot that uh, the great Cody, Commander Cody runs. It's perfect. So appreciate you guys. You're doing great. Continue success and uh, always enjoy listening to you ray fossey we'll see you next week all right my friend take care buddy coming up next what a career the great ted leitner is stepping down in san diego padres have made a lot of moves but we're going to celebrate this man's career 41 years calling games down in san diego we'll talk to him next right here on a's cast live Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. One more hour of A's Cast Live right here on A's Cast. Uh, Steve Sparks, the old knuckleballer, is going to join us from Houston as Michael Brantley has returned to the Houston Astros. Just kind of hoping he would be out of the division. Smart move by them. It's confirmed too. Uh, Ken and Pass and all those guys confirmed. It's two years, thirty-two million. Another free agent signing happened while we were doing the show too. We haven't got a chance to sneak it in. The Twins have signed another aging left-handed starting pitcher, 
Jay Happ, welcome to the Twin Cities. One Jay year, a. Happ? one year, eight million dollars for him. The Big Maple. Big Maple still on the market. I thought he'd be a perfect fit for the Giants, but that's just me. J.A. Happ, huh? One year, eight million. That kind of eight to eleven year range is you're going to say, "What's a? That's a good living." <laughs> one year, though. I mean, Kluber got one year, eleven million. Let's call Ted. Ted Leitner, the legend. We'll call him Teddy Ball Game. Ted, how you Hello. doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletic. Chris Townsend, how the heck are you? We are doing well, and I was just thinking about it having you on again. Did you ever think a guy who grew up in New York, graduated from the University of Oklahoma a year sooner, and then would spend so much time in beautiful San Diego? Did you ever envision that? No, because I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a realist, and, and those kind of things don't occur to me. That's just wonderful, wonderful things could happen to me in my lifetime, and that's part of what happened. You know, we've talked about, you know, whether it was, you know, I grew up in San Diego. I've told you that whether it's Billy Bean or myself watching you and you just think about your career on the local news, Padres, Aztecs, Chargers, Clippers, television, radio, just uh, just an amazing career. Congratulations. You've earned everything. I appreciate it very much. And it's fascinating because I really never had eyes that big, as my mother would say. (laughs) Got big eyes. You, you couldn't finish that meal. You got big eyes. And, and the same thing I never had. I never had. I was lucky. I think that's good because you have really good to have goals and, and you know work hard and be ambitious. But I never had big eyes like that. I was, at, uh, in fact, before Oklahoma, I was at Oklahoma State for undergraduate work. And we worked at the campus radio station. And I, we did the campus. Uh, I did the campus, uh, the varsity football and basketball play-by-play on the campus station. And I thought, you know what? You know what, Chris? If I could get a job at whatever university and radio station in, in that city and, and, and do play-by-play of football and basketball in a, for college, I'd be satisfied and happy the rest of my life based on my love of, of play-by-play. And I did that, and it grew and grew and grew, and like you said, became television sports and talk shows and NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball play-by-play. And I just uh, I pinch myself and think, this all happened. But you know what, dummy? It didn't just happen because of you. It happened because every time I turned around, somebody was there to help me, give me a break, give me great advice. And I wish I'd had that advice in my personal life. Then probably I would not have been divorced four times. But professionally speaking, I had a wonderful, wonderful, unbelievable run. Yeah, you know, me growing up down there and and at night listening to you and Jerry Coleman was so special. And I just think... You know, Ted, 41 years with one franchise is, you know, people dream of that kind of run where we see so many different people move market to market to market to know, as you always said, my Padres, uh, 41 years. Congratulations in Major League Baseball. There's very few in the history of the game that have a run like that. I, I know that, and I appreciate that very, very much. And I've heard from a lot of them who have and others, obviously, who have passed that I think about all the time that it never occurred to me. I could have a run in terms of, you know, years like a Jack Buck and, and, and Mel Allen and people like that. It just, it staggers me. And uh, the idea that, uh, Hey, if Vince Scully is as great as there is, you know, could do 60, 67 years, whatever. And if I could do 41, I'll take it. And I'm not comparing myself to Vinny in any way. because nobody should. And I certainly don't, but it's been absolutely amazing to me to have that run, and you mentioned Jerry Coleman, 
my partner, and here, here's a kid, me, a vendor at Yankee Stadium as, as a kid in New York, and, and going along and looking to my left, I see Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Elston Howard and Yogi Berra playing, and I look up to my right, because even then I wanted to do something in sports and sports broadcasting, I'd look at the press box, and I'd see Mel Allen, Red Barber, Joe Garagiola, and, and Jerry Coleman broadcasting the games. And then, then I would spend, please, this is like, you know, somebody would write this as a fiction novel. I'd spend 35 years with that same Jerry Coleman side by side doing Padre baseball. That's, you can't dream that. You can't think that. You can't have that as a goal. You'll be very disappointed. And all of it happened to me. Yeah, and Jerry Coleman, what a special man. People forget what a what terrific player he was and the championships that he was a part of, but he always said, you know, the Ford C. Frick Award was big, but getting into the Marine Hall of Fame meant more to him. Uh, just talk about your guys' relationship because that's, you know, that's a long time for two guys to be together. And and, and, and it just and I've always said this to everybody, that uh, we never in 35 years and I say this, by the way, with all my partners in football and in, in basketball and in, in baseball, especially, never once has there been a look at each other and say, what the hell you say that for? Or that was stupid. <laughs> or what are you doing? And yeah, that's that kind of thing. It's, it's never been so much as a raised eyebrow, a text or an email in the later years with each other with any kind of, of, of anger, any kind of disappointment. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mentioned four divorces, but I'll tell you what, my, the greatest relationship I ever had was with my partners. Always, always, because Sherry told me that. Your job is to make your partner look good. Never correct him on the air. Never try to top him when he says something. Oh, yeah, but here's so-and-so and add a statistic or something on top of that. Never do that. I learned from him, and it was an absolute, like being, not just learning, but the guy who played you know, was Mickey Mantle's roommate and play with DiMaggio and all those guys against Willie Mays and Jackie Robinson and all those great players that it was like going to Cooperstown and, and being with the Hall of Fame every day broadcasting with Jerry. And like you said, I was at that uh, event in, in uh, when they inducted him just before he went into the broadcast uh, ring of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. We stopped there in Quantico and had the big dinner when he was installed in the Marine Corps Sports Hall of Fame. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And then the commandant of the Marine Corps walks in, going toward the podium. He sees Jerry, who he knows, <laughs> unbeknownst to us, not just of him, but knows him. And the commandant, the, the three-star general, makes a beeline and, and makes a right turn and goes right to Jerry and has a face-to-face -face conversation with him for a minute and a half before the program can begin. And I said to Jerry later, why didn't you tell me you knew the commandant of the Marine Corps? I, I don't know. Nobody, no, I didn't think it was a big deal. <laughs> that was Jerry. His, his, his ego was taken out at, at birth. Somebody once sent me a uh, uh, picture of Jerry Coleman Day when he returned from the Korean combat as a fighter pilot and was given that day at Yankee Stadium. And there was Mel Allen at the microphone as the MC. And there's a guy in a Navy dress uniform with all these medals. And I say to Jerry when I get this picture from a fan, a listener, Jerry, isn't that Admiral Bull Halsey, one of the greats of all time? Yeah. He was at your day when you came back at Yankee City? Yeah. Jerry, it was just his <laughs> life. No ego, no boasting, no telling stories about hey, Bull Halsey came to mind. And that day, later on, when I emceed Jerry Coleman Day at San Diego at Petco Park, when they, when they opened and, and showed the new statue to him, 
Bull Halsey, General Halsey's granddaughter, was there. And I thought, now that is coming full circle, and that is beautiful. Wow. Yeah, And, you know, when I think about, you know, someone like a Billy Bean, what's that like for you when a guy like Billy Bean goes, I've been watching you my entire life? <laughs> it's been, you know what? And, and I always talk about this with Jesse Agler, my partner, who's taking over for me. Jesse, the money's good. You know, it's not great. We're not in a huge market. The money's good. But you know what's better? The relationship and the brotherhood we have with all the broadcasters whom we see when they come into Petco and we go on the road back in the normal days of traveling with the team and getting to know, I mean, come on, getting to know Jack Buck, getting to know Vince Scully, getting to know John Miller. I mean, that's just uh, all the guys with the Giants, by the way, and with the A's and, and Ken Korak, uh, one of my fellow San Diego State guys, and, and just becoming friends and that friendship means so much to me that it's absolutely been amazing, you know, to be in that business and, and to have that. And that has been so precious, all of that. Plus, you meet some incredibly famous people, like you said. For Billy Bean to say that, you know, that Billy Bean is a genius. I'm not sure people understand that. Billy's a genius. He will be in the Hall of Fame for somebody who innovated and changed baseball. And uh, he doesn't go around telling everybody about that. I remember when, when Moneyball came out and I talked to him on the air in an interview on my talk show back then. And I said, Billy, they're talking about you being egotistical because you mentioned this and you mentioned that. You didn't write the book. <laughs> Lewis wrote the book. You didn't write the book. And he laughed and we laughed and, you know, that's the kind of thing. But they don't understand that Billy is different from almost every general manager and then co-president and what have you in baseball. And for him, really, to even know my name is part of what I'm talking about, of beyond the money, beyond the local fame, it, it's knowing a Billy Bean. I had the same situation one time at a shopping center in San Diego. And someone tapped me on my shoulder and... Uh, it was, uh, trying to think, it just flew out of my mind, a good, not who became a dear friend, Wally Shira. It was Wally Shira, one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts who had uh, gone in Mercury, Gemini, and had a moon mission, the only person to ever do that, and a fighter pilot like Jerry Coleman. And uh, one of my all-time heroes were the Mercury 7 astronauts in, from the 60s who invented spaceflight. The bravest men and frontier-busting people you could ever meet. And Wally Shira watches me on television and stops me and says, Hey, Dad, I'm Wally Shira. And I, I wouldn't know <laughs> looking at it that it was. And, 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 that, and that kind of then he would come on my radio shows and we would go to lunch and stuff like that. And I'm pinching myself, talking to my you know, beloved parents who are gone. I'm sitting here with Captain Wally Shira, astronaut, United States Navy, and so forth. And he introduced me to John Glenn. He introduced me to other people like that. And in and, and this business to have that, when you're just some local schnook, which is all I ever was, some vendor from Yankee Stadium, and to have this career and meet these amazing people, it has been absolutely, in, 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 in when last time that Padres were in San Francisco, a couple of seasons ago, when we were obviously on the road, uh, I walked out of the, of the broadcast booth and General Yeager, Chuck Yeager in a wheelchair, was right down the way there. And I walked up and I, having been in the army, I gave General Yeager a salute. And he smiled and I smiled and I said, thank you. And I walked by and everybody knows he's the one that broke the sound barrier and an amazing fighter pilot and so forth, just recently passed away. One of the great Americans to meet these people when I consider myself nothing, this business has given me all of that and so much more. 
Yeah, hanging out with astronauts got to be a little bit bigger than uh, calling Michael Cage blocking out and getting a rebound. (laughs) Wally told me a great story. Wally Sherratt told me a great story that uh, two of his buddies, Neil Neil Armstrong and, and another astronaut, were going to a speaking engagement when they were late in their 70s. And they had a ferocious uh, thunderstorm on the way from Boston to New York, I believe it was, or vice versa. And uh, they were sitting in first class, and the, uh, that young flight attendant had no idea who they were. <laughs> and uh, the thunderstorm, the plane was rocking all over the place. And uh, one of the astronauts is sleeping, and Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, is reading a book. And she squats down next to Neil on the aisle, or Mr. Armstrong, and says to him, it'll be okay. And and the alarm storm looks at her and says, what will? It's just a thunderstorm. It's no big deal. <laughs> he says, oh, okay, it's all right. I'm fine. She doesn't know. She's talking to a man who's been a fighter pilot who test piloted all these things, who landed on the moon while he was running out of fuel and calmly said 500, 300, and figured there's nothing left there. We have no fuel. And calm as can be, going over the boulders, trying to find a place as, as a Lem, the Lem is the lunar lander is coming in, and, uh, and, he, and the other astronaut wakes up next to him, and uh, says, "What does she want?" And and, uh, well, and uh, Neil Armstrong says, "She thinks you're scared." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these guys are real scared in a thunderstorm on a on a, on a seven thirty seven. Uh huh. You know, you're leaving the Padres in a pretty good place as they've had a, you know, last year, obviously a quick season, but got in the postseason, made some really good pitching moves uh, here in the offseason. And if there's 162 games, I think we're expecting a nice battle there in the NL West between the Dodgers and the Padres. Talk about what you see for San Diego coming up here this season. I tell you what, the one thing that people, especially in my own company, the Padres, Say you're leaving at the wrong time. <laughs> no, I always say my timing is not the best. It's never been the best. But I fully realize, having seen the acquisition of the prospects and now the acquisition of of amazing, amazing pitchers, you know that uh, I've never seen. There hasn't ever been the potential of a of a uh, of a uh, kind of a starting rotation where you have these guys. We have you, Darvish, and then Blake Snell and Nelson Lamette hopefully coming back from injury, and Chris Paddock hopefully bouncing back, but with great stuff and makeup and toughness. There's never been a Padre rotation that four and possibly five deep ever. And with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis and these other players, you know, the general manager, A.J. Preller, has given away about 31 prospects that he acquired and still has not given away, for the most part, the top and best prospects that are that major league ready. And so to be able to do this, you're right. This could be. I'm not saying they're the 1998 Padres that went to the World Series. I'm not saying they're that club. But even that club with Kevin Brown and Andy Ashley and Joey Hamilton, I think there's a possibility, greatly, that this starting rotation will be better than the 98 club. And that says a lot. Padre fans, I think, are going into an era, not just you know winning a division title in 96 and then down to last place in 97, then back in 98. I think for the first time, they're going to have continued success year to year to year with all this talent and an incredible ownership that says, whatever, Manny Machado's $300 million, give it to him. That's never happened in San Diego with any ownership in any sport, not just the Padres. And that's Peter Seidler. 
And with that kind of backing and that kind of brilliant general manager with Preller, I think the best times ever, continuously, like I said, for Padre fans, are about to begin whenever this season is about to begin. So our fan base understands, you know, Bill King would go from, you know, Raiders, Warriors, A's. Uh, Ted Leitner is the exact same thing in San Diego. So with all the travel, all the cities, all the different teams you've been doing for all these years, what are you going to do now? That's a very good question. Might go out of my mind. (laughs) Thank God for uh, San Diego State football and basketball because I'm still under contract to them and looking forward to it greatly. They've given me, my gosh, let's be honest, versus the Padres, San Diego State's given me much, many more wins over the last 10 years in an amazing football and basketball program, which has been, again, good up to this very time, though I'm not, I'm for the first time not traveling with them and then doing road games off of television. It's been amazing and bizarre and weird, and hopefully things will be normal. But uh, it's not so much through the year, which has always been, as you said, as Bill did. Nobody did it like Bill King. And that's just and, and nobody was any better, by the way, than Bill King, that when you go from the spring training, which is finishing up with your basketball and then the NCAA and conference tournaments and right into the baseball season through in September, when that overlaps with, you know, Major League uh, Baseball and your college football, which rolls into the combination of college basketball and football, which rolls right in again in the spring training with the basketball. Ain't no vacations, but if you want to do that and you have the opportunity, like Bill did, and thank God that I've done it, it's absolutely wonderful. So to answer your question in less than five minutes, which is unlike me, it will be still football and basketball. I just don't know, Chris, what the hell I'm going to do with my summers. I haven't had a summer without baseball since 1979. And that's going to be a challenge, and I'm, I, I'm not looking forward to that. I will miss baseball play-by-play tremendously, especially with a franchise that I've loved you know, since I began in 1980 when that aforementioned Jerry Coleman left the broadcast booth, became the manager of the club, and that gave me the opportunity to get my foot in the door as a broadcaster. And here I was 41 years later still doing it. Well, we want to honor you today because, as you know, and I can speak for Billy Bean, as we grew up watching you as kids, we've always been huge fans. Uh, You're a star down there, and you've had one of the great careers as a broadcaster in so many different sports and what you did, local TV and local radio. We want to honor you and say congratulations. Truly, from the bottom of my heart, you've had one of the best careers we've ever seen. Chris, I appreciate that very, very much. And and you tell Billy I'll be at Cooperstown when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame if I'm still alive at 73. I sure hope so. And I appreciate all your kind words. I really, really do. You're the best. Be well. Be safe. Thank you, Chris. You too. The great Ted Leitner right here on A's Cast Live. That's my Padres, as he likes to say. <laughs> and then if they're losing, he goes, that's your Padres. I can't wait to listen to the first game this year without Ted on there and I and not hear him. My Padres. Uh, you know, and you know, kudos to our good friend uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. who's now gonna be the full time color analyst oh, yeah. on the radio. So kudos to Tony for getting that you move into that role full time. Um a lot of excitement in San Diego, man, uh with that team. You know Well Southern California you got the Dodgers who have won eight straight. They just won the World Series. I mean they're having a they're starting like a they're they're in the middle, I should say, not starting. The Dodgers are in the middle of a Braves-like run. Padres are going for it. It's going to be a two-horse race. I, I mean, Arizona, Colorado, San Francisco, I don't see them. And then, you know, you think what we got going in the West, Brantley comes back. Let's see what the Astros are. 
Uh, the A's are going to have to figure out shortstop second base. But right now, I mean, if I had to handicap it, not being a homer, I, I got to see the A's as the favorite. Who does Vegas have as a favorite right now? Uh, have, has that been released yet? I don't think they've done that yet. I don't. Yeah, know. we haven't got win totals yet. We haven't gotten that. Yeah, I haven't seen anything from the the loss. Not that I not that I would know, but I, I haven't seen from the well, loss. Probably, you know. Hey, you know what? If I'm Vegas, you want to put that out there right now, with not knowing so many different things. You don't know if there's going to be universal DH. You don't know the roster size. There's so many things that you don't know. It's like, you know, when we talked to David Force, the A's general manager, like, how do you, you're trying to build a ball club. I think it's one of the reasons why we still have so many free agents out there. You're trying to build a ball club, but what am I building a ball club with? Is it 26 guys? Is it 28 guys? Is it 30 guys? Am I having a taxi squad? Like, I mean... New York's going to kind of get its act together and kind of give us the parameters of what the, of what the season's going to look like. Yeah, it's 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 a really tough situation, and you made me you made me you got me thinking. I'll, I'll text our good friend Joe Fortenball after we're done today and, and see if I can get some uh, get to skinny on the when the season totals are all going to be released because you know he's a big star down in Vegas now. You usually it would be already out by now. Yeah, uh, I don't want to text him right now. I think he's doing TV, the Daily Wager. So I'll wait till after, but I'll, I'll get it for us. Who mentioned Jock Peterson today? Somebody did. Uh, I did because about the Red Sox having interest in him, possibly if they don't, if they get rid, move on from Benintendi. Okay, how much value does Jock Peterson now have if they announce National League's going to have a DH? He's one of the first two guys. I think first three guys I think of. You think of him. Nelson Cruz, obviously, and Marcelo Zuna, who's probably a DH. Cruz doesn't have a job right now. Nope, neither does Zuna. And and Kylie McDaniel from ESPN mentioned he said that he could see Lastella, Tommy Lastella, being a guy potentially that could be a DH because of how well he hits, and you know you maybe don't want to play him in the field. But a guy like Jock Peterson, who well he can only hit right-handed pitchers, and he's not the greatest fielder, but he'll be a great DH. I mean, he can hit. He hit 36 home runs a couple of years ago, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's a DH somewhere. But we just need to have some resolution on if we're going to have the universal DH or not because here we are, January 20th, and the season, the spring training starts in less than a month where the pitches and catches report, and we still don't know if that's going to happen. Interesting times. You know, you know also, Ted wasn't the only uh, San Diego legend to retire recently, right? We'll get into this later. I have it as a buying or selling question, but Philip Rivers called it quits today. After That'd be seven... ba- that, I was going to say Baltimore Colts. <laughs> Indianapolis Colt Philip Rivers. <laughs> 16 years he played for the Chargers franchise at San Diego and L.A., of course. Uh, he, owned the Raiders. he owned the Raiders. It was unbelievable. Uh, I went through his stats. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting if you go through his numbers, um, making the case for him for the Hall of Fame. We'll get to that later, but – yeah, so San Diego, the go back to the Padres. It's just what a time. Your brother, I think we're. I think we have to rethink this. Uh, this wager he wants to do on the Padres. So I'm still taking the Dodgers this year. Uh, I don't care if you do add Joe Musgrove to that rotation. I still like the Dodgers, especially if they add Trevor Bauer. Um, that'll just pretty much. It's like hey, the to me, it's like the Padres. They got Snell and and Darvish and and Musgrove. It's like oh, they did all these things this offseason. If the Dodgers go, hey, we signed Trevor Bauer. I think they had a better offseason than the Padres. Sorry. A World Series team got better by adding 
the reigning NL Cy Young winner uh, to you know probably a one year deal, but still that would be huge for the uh, for the Dodgers as they could add him to that rotation. What do you think Trevor Bauer goes for? I think it's a one year. I don't think he gets thirty, but I think somewhere in that like maybe twenty eight million somewhere in there. I mean, essentially, fifty-plus million dollars will be going to him and Mookie Betts. Then, if you throw in Kershaw, what's Kershaw making? Uh, Kershaw's over thirty for sure. I'll pull up his numbers, but I know he makes over thirty. So it'll be it'll be like close to ninety million dollars for three guys. Yeah, and you still have to worry about Seager next year. Well, if if you're looking at for just this year, you have three guys, yes. But if you're looking long term, you want to keep Bauer longer. you, You have those three guys. Uh, Bellinger's going to be up for a, a new contract soon. Uh, Seager's a free agent after this upcoming season. You're probably going to want to try to keep him around. So, And Bueller's a free agent a couple years down the road, too. That's the toughest part about keeping a team going, is at some point, you got to pay everybody. And you got to figure out, all right, who do we want to pay and who don't we want to pay? Because Cody Bellinger just got paid in arbitration. What do you get? 16 million or whatever in his first year of arbitration? Uh no, this is his second first year. He got he set the record with 11. And then he got I think he got oh, Yeah, okay, he just got 16.1. Yeah, so he went up from 11 to 16 in his second year of arbitration. Uh Clayton Kershaw is a free agent after 2021. So this could be his last year to Dodgers as well. He's making 31 million this year. He's 33 years old. He'll turn 34 and he'll turn 33 in March, so he'll be 34 at 20 in 2022. Um, that's interesting. That's really interesting. If he say he has a you know good year and they don't want to resign him, and that'll be interesting. That's that's something not a lot of people are talking about just yet. That he's in his last year with the Dodgers. For now, who knows? You can sign an extension. Well, if you got Bauer, you could like say, "Hey, Bauer, we'll just." Uh, which I don't think. I, I mean, I'm not paying Bauer Clayton Kershaw money. No offense. Well, that comes but, down. To, that, that comes down to who do, who would you rather keep, uh, an a middle-aged Clayton Kershaw, or you know you're coming off of. It depends on how Bauer does this year. Do you keep Bauer in his 30s, early 30s, who he just turned 30, so he'll be 31 after the season, or do you keep Kershaw, who's only a couple years older, who has that longevity of success? Uh, a lot of questions the Dodgers will have to answer if that if this crazy hypothetical of Bauer going there actually happens. Coming up next, we head to. Houston, Texas, what's going on with the Astros right here on A's Cast Live? Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We're going to be heading to Houston to talk to our buddy Steve Sparks coming up here on A's Cast Live. Michael Brantley has re-signed. And it was earlier today he was going to be a... Toronto Blue Jay. And all of a sudden, Cody had it. He's re-signing with Houston. So who do they got? You know, Reddick's a free agent. Yeah, that's true. Reddick's gone. Uh, Zuna's gone. Gordon Alvarez can't stay healthy. He can't play that anyway. He's more DH. Yeah. Uh, Before I call Sparks here real quick, uh, one's Michael Brantley appreciation night in uh, Toronto. Remember, he was a, he was there for like what two hours. You mean uh, in, in Florida? Yeah, yeah. Where, wherever they're gonna play, I'm calling Sparksy right now. All right. I'll just leave a message. And I'll get back with you as soon as I. Can. Oh, Sparksy. 
Two years, $32 million, according to the source. Yeah. That's it? That's $16 million a year for, a, what is he, 30? Maybe because we get to see him. You can't get the guy out. He's one of those guys that when he steps up to the plate, you're like, oh, boy, here we go. I mean, he, I mean, he's a guy that thrived amongst the chaos around the Houston Astros. And he's really a guy, like, if you say you're getting him on your team, you're getting a guy who's got legit power. You got a guy that can hit it to all fields. How much will Springer be missed? Springer was a guy, no day at the beach. Leading off for them. He could take you deep right out of the gate. Obviously, what he did defensively. I mean, it's tough to lose a guy like that. There, there, there's no question. Steve, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Chris. How are you, buddy? Uh, we're doing well. Well, I you, you got one of your outfielders back today. I mean, everybody had Brantley going to the Toronto Blue Jays, and all of a sudden, reverse course, and he's coming back to Houston. I got to think uh, Astros fans have to be happy about that. That is a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, how often or how infrequent do the national writers get that wrong? I, I'm kind of shocked that they did get that wrong, that it was consummated between uh, Brantley and the Blue Jays. But, man. So important for the Astros and, and, and what's going on in, in all of their major sports right now to have somebody say, yeah, I want to be back in Houston. Uh, I think it means the world to them. Well, yeah, when, I, when I'm thinking about him and we were just talking about it, whenever he comes to the plate, it's like, oh, and, and as an ex-pitcher, a guy yeah. like that who can beat you to all fields, power to all fields, power to all gaps. I mean, that guy's a nightmare. He is. You know, he's never off balance, uh, rarely fooled on a pitch. So in, in a person, in any pitcher will tell you, a person who hits the ball where it's pitched is always going to be the toughest one to get out because there's just basically no holes in their swing. And that's the way he is, man. He just he keeps it very simple. He's got a beautiful swing, uh, a very uh, good eye at the plate. And, man, that rubs off. I think hitters like that, and you've seen hitters like that in Oakland's lineup through the last few years. I think Jed Lowry's a good example that rub off on the other guys and their quality at bat. There's a, and, and you know who did that for the A's this year was Tommy LaStella. It was amazing. Yeah, Great. exactly. Like, all of a sudden, you know, because we're, we're basically the, the one of the three true outcome teams, you know, home run, walk, strikeout. You put Tommy LaStella in our lineup, it truly changed things. And, yeah, he was a lot like Jed. I mean, as a pitcher, once you when you have a guy that makes that kind of contact, I mean, it changes the lineup. It does. You know, and you can couple that in with a couple other guys, Robbie Grossman, those guys that did kind of the same thing, you just can't have four or five swing and miss guys in a row in a lineup. I think everybody's starting to learn that those three true outcomes really don't make a lot of sense if, you're, if your lineup's littered with those types of players. Now we got tough about, you know, talk about the tough one, losing Springer to the Blue Jays. You know, him yeah. leading off playing center field, his skill set, his athleticism, his power. Boy, is he going to be missed there in Houston. 
He will. I mean, everything about him, you said, I mean, offensively, production as a player, defensive player, um, what he meant to this team in the clubhouse. You know what? You know what? I don't think he got as much uh, flack for the, the sign stealing stuff. I think, I think, I mean, this might sound crazy, but just the fact that he's not on social media doesn't set himself up for, for criticism. You know, he just, he stood there. He answered the questions. He said, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And you never really heard anything else about it since then, about Springer, just because kind of a stand-up guy to begin with. But I think just the fact that he doesn't put himself up there for the criticism, I think uh, does a lot for guys in these situations. Is there anybody that can replace a guy with his kind of skill set? No. You know what? I mean – as a starting pitcher, you, you certainly realize that the first inning is really tough, no matter no matter who you're facing, just to get into the game and feel the adrenaline on that particular day. And, and just, you know, it's the first inning so different from the third inning for, for that reason. And to, to go out there and, and not face a guy like the, your Brett Butler type of hitter where you, you can just throw one right down the middle and, and – uh, throw it away and let him hit it away and play him that way. You know, that was, that was a little comforting that you knew you didn't have to be really fine on the first pitch of the game. That it was totally different when you had a guy like Springer at the plate, man, you put a, that other team on their heels with that first batter on the very first pitch. And, and to be aggressive like he was at the very beginning, I think set the tone for the Astros for a few years. You know, it's so funny for our younger audience, you got to look it up. Brett Butler was just the biggest. <laughs> I mean, he was always acting like he was going to bunt, and then he'd pull it back and slash it at you. He was always going to make contact. He had a little bit of speed. He had to be brutal yeah. to face. Yeah, he was brutal. Kenny Lofton was brutal like that. Vizcale, when he became a little better hitter, uh, was a lot like that when he got to Cleveland. There's a lot of guys uh, that were just pesky like that, but they didn't. They didn't put fear in your heart like uh, like I think Springer does. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't think there's in, been anybody really like him. You know, maybe you, you go back to Ricky Henderson and Bobby Bonds and some guys like that who could really uh, impact the game with the first batter of the game. But I thought it was genius uh, for the Astros to put him at the top for those years because I think natural inclination would be would be to say bat him third or fourth and drive in 115 runs. You're wasting your production if you don't do that. But I think I think the opposite was true. I think he was in the perfect spot. Yeah, because they talk about hey, one of your best hitters. Why not lead him off first? He's going to get the most at bats of anybody during yeah. the year. So it's like you got a you got a three four hitter leading off who's going to get the most abs during a season. Yep. Yeah, and, and the message that that sends to the other side is just like, oh, my gosh. Man, it starts with with the, you know, the first A-B, and then you got out two, and you, then you got all these guys after it, you know, and it, it makes for a pretty tough outing uh, for a pitcher, and it starts it starts right away. And that makes it tough, man. You get in the stretch position or you're down one nothing right away, that's, that's tough to swallow. Yeah. They're going to miss him. You know, you, I'm back to the question, the original question, there's no replacing him. Uh, they'll probably put Altuve or maybe a Bregman at the top of the order uh, next year. That's up to Dusty Baker, of course. But uh, uh, I know they'd like somebody impactful because it's worked so well uh, in the years past. Now, with, with Springer leaving, 
kind of freeing up money. Will this make yeah. it easier to, to sign Carlos Correa? Well, that's that's priority. You know, we, we knew this a couple of years ago. I was talking with uh, some of the Blue Jays people today on the radio, and they say, you know, acting like it, we might be surprised that Springer was gone. And I think we all kind of knew that Springer was probably gone when they extended Altuve and Bregman. Uh, when you have two players that are extended to that to that degree, there's really not a lot of room for that six-year, $150 million contract elsewhere if you're going to field, you know, anything but a double-A roster past that. So I think uh, the Astros knew that. One of their plans uh, years ago was to make sure that all of these guys that they were going to call up, the Altuves, the Bregmans, the Correas, the Springers, the Kyle Tuckers, they weren't going to call these guys up at the same time. They want them staggered, kind of laddered their way to the big league. So it wasn't like the Kansas City Royals a few years ago where everybody became a free agent at the same time, and then you're left empty-handed. Uh, you know, they just have to deal with things as they come. I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, man. This, this signing of Brantley really helps things in the, in the nature of their outfield going to become uh, – it's going to seem very bare without Springer to begin with. But if you're going to lose Brantley as well, man, they had a gaping hole. So to get Brantley in there, not only to be such a, a quality hitter and a clubhouse leader, uh, and plus to give the, the, the Astros a little street cred among other major league free agents, uh, knowing that Michael Brantley approves of that situation, uh, I think says a lot too. Uh, it was a big signing for them. What they do with center field, I think Jackie Bradley Jr., Marisnik, there's some free agents out there. Uh, Miles Straw, who, who's on the team right now, is probably the, the incumbent, but they may want to go elsewhere. And then a guy that's got the George Brett no batting gloves, I think has to step up big for you, wouldn't you say, in Kyle Tucker? Well, you know what? When, when the, you look at the periphery numbers and, and you look at the analytics and, and what went on with uh, his hard hit percentage and, and uh, his eye at the plate and all that stuff, not many people think what he did last year was a fluke. Uh, and he was probably their best hitter for, for most of the campaign, that campaign last year. Uh, he's their best base stealer. He's their best base runner. Uh, he's an adequate outfielder. And if people are saying that's not fluky, man, they've, they've, got, they've got him a good player, a really good player, who I think has got a chance to be an, an all-star at some point. So, uh, Kyle Tucker, I think you can pencil him in to be your right fielder. Brantley, the majority of the starts in left field. They'll look probably for somebody in center field. And like everybody else, uh, try to try to rake in two or three more pitchers to try to try to make up for all those innings they're going to have to cover because nobody pitched many last year. Yeah, what do you think about that when you have, I think it's either going to be bad or really, really good. The fact that a lot of guys didn't throw a lot, so maybe that helps the mileage on the tires or it's going to hurt it. If you had to handicap it, not pitching that much, is it going to help pitchers this year or is it going to hurt them? I think it's going to hurt them. I think all the stopping and starting last year and the uncertainty and everything, uh, we saw a lot of pitchers get injured to begin with last year, and I think it's going to carry on. I think uh, I think it's going to be bad, you know, and – who knows, you know, we're crossing our fingers probably, you know, in my mind, you know, and I'm, this is total speculation. I'm thinking we'll play 140 games. 
you know, if we get started a little bit late, and I know everybody's saying prepare to, to play them all, but it seems kind of far-fetched to me. But even 140, man, you're really taxing guys compared to what they pitched last year. And then you're throwing all kinds of red flags up for the year after that because, you know, we've always seen, Chris, through, through these years, you know, when a guy, you know, bumps his innings up by 25% and he's, he's a uh, big-time candidate for Tommy John the next year and more times than not that seems to be the case so they got to be real careful of a lot of that stuff i heard the padres are thinking about a six-man rotation at the beginning i wouldn't be surprised if half the teams in the big leagues maybe adopt that theory this year to kind of naturally pull back on some innings well speaking of tommy john one of the greats and he'll be a hall of famer and justin verlander we know what tommy john they really want to make it and this is for young players, not a player his age. They want to make it around 14 months. Is it safe to say we will not see him this season? You know, I've heard that uh, he would love to pitch the last month just because he's a free agent after that. So I think it probably depends on where we're at as a as a society, you know, first and foremost, uh, and then where he's at, you know, health-wise. Uh, seeing what he can do maybe uh, as far as going and getting some rehab inning somewhere before he really uh, puts his foot on the gas. And uh, what the Astros might have in place, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, the Astros know him better than anybody at this point. I mean, he would be a great candidate to, to sign for a year with an option, you know, past this. I would trust him in a heartbeat just because of his pedigree. Uh to pitch beyond this and pitch very well. So to say that he won't pitch next year, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he's the type of guy who can almost put his mind to just about anything and get it done. If you had to handicap the division right now, who would you say is the favorite? I would say the Astros, but not by much. And I think, I think, I think you can, uh, you can bunch them up pretty good, except for the Rangers. I think the Rangers are lagging. I think the Mariners are coming. The Angels, if they if they sign Bauer, if the Angels sign Bauer, I think the the A's and the Astros and the Angels are a coin flip. Yeah, it's so hard to believe. You know, Texas opens that new beautiful ballpark, and it's just like, I mean, you, you never even had a honeymoon period. I, it's it's really really. Yeah. It is, you know, but it's so cyclical. Uh, you know, right now it just doesn't make a lot of sense for them to to go all in with free agents. They just got so far to go as far as their offense that they realize, all right, we've got some assets. Lance Lynn, all right, see what we can get for Lance. You know, and, and they had to get rid of some guys, and, and so that makes it even, you know, even more bare right now. So. I think this team's going to be good probably in, in three or four years because I think they have a lot of smart people in place. I don't know if you've been around Woodward very much, their, their manager, but, man, he seems like a sharp guy. And I think they're doing things the right the right way finally, but it took them a while to get there. I think they, fe- they felt they were closer than they were uh, to get into contention. You know, it's weird here in Northern California. We've been locked down since March. Uh, we're going to be locked down coming up here. It'll be a, a year, you know, yep. it, it, you know, watching football and watching college football and watching, you know, there's going to be fans in the stands. I just, I, I, I don't think the Astros again this year are going to get the, the, the full blunt from the fan bases. Cause I just don't, I mean, you can tell me, I just don't think there's going to be that many people in the ballpark to make a difference. Yeah. And think about it. 
I, I don't think there's more than seven guys left from that roster of the team that won the championship. You know, the team that was the the most guilty of all the stuff that the that happened in the sign stealing stuff. So uh, pretty, you know, pretty soon there's not going to be any, anybody left uh, on the roster, and it's going to be it's going to be almost forgotten. As many things that have gone on since then, uh, I think it's probably going to uh, wane quite a bit. You know, and I don't understand, you know, I don't understand where people are going to be, you know, by the time uh, they see 25% or 50% capacity to, to boost some of these guys. I just don't know how much of an impact that's going to really make. Most importantly, how are you hitting them this offseason? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm hitting them okay. You know, it's kind of off and on. I got my handicap down to a one at one point, and it's, it's back up to a three and a half or a four. So I just I go through that little roller coaster. It you either make putts or you don't, man. It comes down to putting so often. <laughs> you watch these guys on tour. That's what it is. You gotta you it you, you got to have drain stupid. them. You're not draining them. It is what it is. It's so stupid. The easy. That's what makes it so infuriating. The thing that seems like it should be the easiest is the hardest because your expectations are so high, and the three foot putt. I mean, there's even more expect. It's almost like a three and zero count in baseball. Is you see a guy's eyes light up and he puts too much pressure on himself and he pops it up in the infield. That's pretty much uh, that sums up my golf game right there. And their and their short games are so stupid. It's unbelievable. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, it's like big leaguers. I mean, they spend uh, a lot of hours every single day to perfect that craft, and they've got all the right information. Uh, man, I would have given anything to to have some of these slow speed cameras when I was pitching uh, to be able to look and see what I was doing wrong when things weren't going right. That's these players uh, who are taking advantage of it are doing it the right way. Hey, you're the best. We always appreciate it. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. Uh, great talking to you, Chris. Good luck, man. Steve Sparks, former A, now doing play-by-play for the Houston Astros, friend of the program, no question. You ready for a little buying or selling in this thing? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. You know, I'll start out this by saying, uh, when Sparksy mentioned about Houston and uh, – being a rough time right now for the sports landscape. Think about in the last like three weeks, uh, they lost James Harden, uh, Deshaun Watson once out, and uh, you lost George Springer. So you got th- arguably the three biggest stars playing in Houston. They're all going to be gone, and if not gone, whenever Deshaun Watson is traded. Uh, rough time to be a Houston sports fan after what the last couple years they were, you know, the, the Texans were winning division titles, the you know, the, the Astros won the World Series, we're in the World Series, and the Rockets just couldn't ever get past the Warriors. So, you know, it stinks, but, uh, you know, well, we've all been through it. So this offseason has been tepid at best this offseason, but it's kind of uh, heated up the last few days as we've seen. But a few teams have made it interesting so far, the Padres, the Mets, the Blue Jays, and the White Sox. Well, remember, they signed Liam last week to be their closer. They also added Lance Lynn this offseason. We'll be getting – fireballer Michael Kopech back as well they hired Hall of Famer Tony La Russa as their manager and have been one of the best they have one of the best young cores in Major League Baseball now the Twins lost Eddie Rosario 
And as of now, Jake Odorizzi, and they still haven't resigned Nelson Cruz to be their DH. No other team in the AL has done much to keep up as the race traded Blake Snell and lost Charlie Morton. And like I mentioned, the Yankees do, since I wrote this, the Yankees have added a few guys, Kluber and LeMahieu brought back. But Jeff Passan believes the White Sox are the team to beat in the American League. Buying or selling the Chicago White Sox of the South Side are the favorites to win the American League. Selling. And every every time someone gives me that kind of question, you're basically saying White Sox versus the field. Yeah, that's I'll what take it is. the field. Back in the day, there was one guy you could bet against the field. Do you know who that was? Uh, that'd be uh, Eldrick Woods. That would be Tiger Woods. But I'll bet any 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 time of the week, any time of the year, I'm taking the field. If you're going to give me all the other teams versus one, I'll take that team. I'll, I'll take the field. It's a good play. I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that's the play to go, but... Uh, I think we're putting a way too much pressure on the White Sox. I mean, they have a great young core, good pitching staff. They have a great bullpen now, Hall of Fame manager. But let's not forget they did lose in the first round of the playoffs last year to the A's. So it's not like they went on a big run and they lost in the World Series. They didn't even get out of the first round. So uh, let, let's just wait and see what happens this year. Now, the Giants are uh, are loaded a catcher this year. They got Buster Posey back, future Hall of Famer, Chadwick Trump, Joey Bart, and new signing Kirk Casale. Now, Buster and Casale are expected to be the catchers for 2021. Now, this means Joey Bart will be in the minors to start the 2021 season after playing 33 games in 2020. Bart struggled in 2020 with 41 strikeouts and just three walks and 111 plate appearances, and he hit zero home runs. The Giants also selected a catcher, Patrick Bailey, from NC State in the first round in the 2020 draft. Ken Rosenthal notes, that the Giants, like most clubs, are open to virtually all trade possibilities, and some in the industry speculate that Bart could bring them a controllable starting pitcher in return. Buying or selling, the Giants will trade Joey Bart. Wow. The future of the franchise is going to get traded already? Wow. Um... I, I really don't know enough about that, <laughs> you know, about the Giants. But because Farhan didn't draft him, right? No, no. He, but he did draft Bailey, though. But yeah, so he's not a Farhan guy. I'm going to sell. Yeah, I think they hold on to him, too. But Yeah, I'm going to sell that. I just I – just, I mean, they 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 they've talked about how much he means to the franchise going long term, and this is it for Buster Posey in theory. I just have a hard time thinking you're getting rid of Joey Bart. Yeah, I unless agree. you unless you know something we don't know. And then again, maybe maybe they've watched him play at the big league level because remember he's a he's a college guy. So after about two years, you're supposed to be ready to go. This is going to be, what, his third year since being drafted? This will be year – yeah, I think it's his third year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't think you could trade him just yet, but you've, you're hoping – you would hope that he'd be ready. Uh, I'll make this one quick. Uh, the Padres were, in, were reportedly interested in Masha here at Tanaka. They didn't end up closing a deal. The Yankees still haven't agreed to terms on him. And the idea of him going back to Japan at the age of 32, him and I share the same birthday, November 1st, 
is on the is on the table. So buying or selling Masahiro Tanaka will be pitching in Japan in 2021. Why wouldn't he go back to the Yankees? I'm selling. Why does he not go back to the Yankees? I mean, they could use him. Um, they totally need him, and they know him, and it's just – I'm selling. I say at the end they're going to get a better deal, and maybe it's just a one-year deal. As much as I love Japan, I, I, I'm i selling. I, I say he gets a job in the States. All right, so last one, because I told you we get to it later. Pitching. What's that? There's too many teams that need pitching. Yeah, and the Yankees are definitely one of them. If they lost uh, Happ and, and Paxson. Yeah, it's great they brought in Kluber, but they still lost too many guys. So Phillip Rivers retired from the NFL today after 17 seasons. 16 of them were spent with the San Diego L.A. Chargers in his one year with the Indianapolis Colts, the 39-year-old quarterback. Threw for, three, or threw for 63,440 yards, 421 touchdowns, and 209 Interceptions. He reached the AFC title game, which happened on this date back in 2008 against the Sand or against the New England Patriots. Where he tore his ACL like a week earlier, and he's reached the division round four times. He's an eight-time Pro Bowler, but he's led. He's had double-digit INTs in 13 of his 17 seasons. Now, if you put context into that, this Eli Manning drafted the same year as him. They were traded for each other. Led the NFL in interceptions three times, including three different times with 20 or more in a season. And he's going to be probably a Hall of Famer because he won two Super Bowls. For context, Aaron Rodgers has thrown double-digit INTs twice in his 16-year NFL career. Buying or selling, Phillip Rivers deserves to be in the National Football League Hall of Fame. Oh, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, no question. Uh, like I said, if you put... Yeah, but, you know what, but, but you know what? There's a guy out there you're missing that was in that draft also who I would take over both Phillip and Eli. Are you talking about the the greatest quarterback in Steelers history, Ben Roethlisberger? I'd take Big Ben over both those guys. Uh, he had a bad end to his season this year and it led to a lot of spe- – not as bad as Drew Brees did, but uh, bad as uh, speculation to lead to his retirement. But he's coming back, it sounds like, and it looks like Drew Brees is going to you know, ride off into the sunset. So, uh, yeah, with Rivers, it's just interesting because – People always talk about how he never won any big games and all that, and I get it. But if Eli Manning's going in because he won the two Super Bowls and he was just a mediocre quarterback when it came to stats, then you have mediocre. to put Rivers in. So, well, that, that that's all I got for today. Hot take. But I take Ben over all three of them. Yes, I'm with you. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Oh, yeah, I take Big Ben over those guys. No question. Big Ben's had a great career. Yeah. I mean, like I said, his last game here against Cleveland in the first round of the playoffs wasn't great. But, it, again, it was still better than Drew Brees. He still, he still did throw for 500 yards in that game. When are we back? Friday? Yeah, Friday. Jam-packed show? Randy Jones, the guy that helped Barry Zito develop uh, and grow as a young pitcher, will be on with us. We'll have um, Casey Stern of the MLB Network, of SiriusXM MLB Network Radio, and I'm Hoping to get the Garv on to talk about Don Sutton and Tommy Lasorda and also the Dodgers and how great they are and all this. So, uh, oh, I forgot about that. God, you've had two great Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda and Don Sutton die. Yeah, within like what, like two weeks and then like a two week span of each other. So, oh, that's brutal. Yeah, hopefully I'm able to, you know, get, get in contact with the Garv and we'll have, you know, he's a friend of the program. So we'll, we should be able to get him on again. Yeah, that's rough. That is really, really rough. R.I.P. Don Sutton. I remember in spring training one time, he came walking in 
to have dinner. And I just remember just going, oh, my God, that's Don Sutton. <laughs> I, I remember I texted him like a few months big ago. white hair, the big fro that he had. I texted him a few months ago, and I said, hey, we'd love to have you on for a segment we, segment we do called Fosse and Friends. And uh, we wanted to have you on and talk about, you know, your time with the A's and playing with the Dodgers and playing against Ray in that World Series. And how about the time how you threw a ball behind him uh, at, at, a, at an old-timers game? And uh, Sutton uh, read the message, and never he left me on red, as the kids say. So uh, rest in peace, uh, Don Sutton, for tremendous baseball player and a great broadcaster as well. No doubt about it. All right, we will see you on Friday from 1 to, one to 4? Correct, 1 to 4. And, of course, we're going to replay this show right now. So enjoy in case you missed the early part of A's Cast Live. Here you go. And, of course, this is always on A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.